Hey folks, this is Brad. Uh, I am feeling really under the weather today, so uh, we are going to be doing kind of an off-brand, so video games. We're going to be talking about games, talking about banter, but we're not following the usual script. It's going to be a shorter show because I'm hoping I can get through the recording without my voice uh, going out on me. And I apologize if this isn't up to our normal standards, but we did want to have something for you. We did not want to skip a week. So we're going to do our best. Please bear with us, and hopefully this won't be too terrible. Uh, Corey Motley is here, as always. Corey, thank you for joining me on this journey. Of course. It feels like it's... Every time we do this, I'm like, oh, it feels like it's been a while. And we've only recorded... I mean, we are recording like a week and a half later than we usually do by like a couple of days. But it does feel... And I also had a long weekend. I had a lot of stuff going on. So it feels like it's been a while, but it's good to be back. It's a little bit crazy. When we get off schedule, I mean, maybe it's just me because I'm older, but as you get older, or at least as I get older, I feel like I really thrive on a schedule, which <laughs> I don't think was always true for me. And when we go like a day late or two days late, like it throws me off, dude. Like I, uh, I, I just, the, the whole, th the whole world seems darker a little bit and just, you know, I just <laughs> feel less confident in myself and I put on weight and it's really bad. So we need to like stick to the schedule. Uh, <laughs> Uh, folks, this is the 108th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today is December 4th, 2018. As I said earlier, my name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, also 50% of the show. Also, feeling sicky today, please excuse me. Uh, with me, as always, uh, is the healthier-than-me Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. Corey, besides being healthier-than-me, how are you? Uh, I am pretty good, I guess. Um, I Like I said, I had a pretty long weekend. Last week, my work week kind of ended like in a wild way uh, because just stuff at work was kind of going crazy. Um, but then I took Friday off, and I was in Atlanta all weekend. So I was I, – I mean, I was busy all weekend, but it wasn't like – in a like disastrous way it was just like you know when you go on I mean it, it, technically it was like kind of a vacation it was just like a weekend trip but I was doing so much that I was kind of um like dead to the world a little bit except for when I was tweeting excessively about being incredibly drunk on Friday night um and <laughs> I did catch some of that by the yeah, way yeah that was not my best moment but um <laughs> but uh but yeah but work um like the i I'm, I'm good, I guess. I'm beginning caught up on work at work because I kind of have one of those jobs where, like, if I'm not around, nobody else does the work. So, and if they do, they do it wrong. So, like, yesterday and today were basically comprised of me being at work trying to clean up um, not necessarily a mess, but just, like, a little bit of, um, you know, disheveled stuff here and there and then trying to catch up on work. But other than all of that, I am doing pretty well. Well, since we are... Um kind of doing a, a weird off-brand episode. I mean, we can... Uh, I know we usually save the banter for the end, but uh, hopefully people will just bear with us for this one episode. Uh, I'm, I want to know what you did uh, in Atlanta. You said Atlanta? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Atlanta. So, all right, so folks, just... Uh, I know we usually keep the banter to the end. Please forgive us. This is an off-brand show. Let's do, let's do banter first this time, and then we'll just roll ahead. So what... What was up uh, in Atlanta? Why did you go there? I mean, I know you said it's a kind of a vacation, which actually is kind of a funny phrase when you think about it, because for me, kind of a vacation is any time that I'm actually not working. So I get lots of kind of vacations, <laughs> but I don't think that's what you mean. What did you what did you do in Atlanta? What was down there? Well, I've been to Atlanta a couple times. And just to set the scene on, like, geographically, um, I've, I've, I know I've talked about going to Atlanta uh, twice before on the show. Um, but uh, in, I live in New Orleans, and Atlanta is only about a seven to eight hour drive from here, depending on traffic, depending on, you know, stopping for gas and food and stuff. So it's like, 
short enough to be drivable, but like long enough for the drive to feel kind of terrible most times. And I know you're not like big into car rides, so that probably sounds like a disaster for you. Um, oh, and how, and how. <laughs> and it, the weird thing is like this time, because both times I've gone to Atlanta before, I went f- basically just for parkour trips. Like I went with, you know, three of my parkour friends crammed in the car with me. Um, I drove all the way, almost, probably like 90% of the way there and back both times I went last time, but this time around it was just me and Patrick. It wasn't like a parkour thing because Patrick, um, his cousin, who is his, oh my God, I'm not going to get this right. His, oh my God, his family's so big and I'm so bad at it. I think it's his dad's sister's son. Oh dear. Oh dear. I think. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I might be getting that wrong. It's one of his cousins, his male cousin, who they got married. Uh, he got married to his wife, obviously, um, about two years ago. And I went to the wedding and I might have talked about it on the show. I was in South Carolina for a weekend, uh, my first time in South Carolina, and they got married like in the Charleston area. It was my first time basically meeting like a bunch of that side of his family because they all live in um, in South Carolina or in like the area. And I had never been there. So it was like going to a wedding, meeting a bunch of his family for the first time. And it was like generally a pretty good trip. Like, you know, we got an Airbnb and some of his other cousins who uh, were in school with us in college, a little bit older, but were in the college town with us. Um, we uh, got an Airbnb together and that those two co- or that cousin is gay. So his boyfriend was there and it was cool because it was just like the four of us and an Airbnb. Oh, but, um, so you got, he's got he's got multi-gay in the family then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess as far as I know. I mean, he's gay. He's gay as far as I know, right? So, I mean, Patrick is. Oh, yeah, he is. Um, I mean, pretty confirmed gay. And then he's got a cousin who's also gay. So yeah. that's at least two. And his cousin is his mom's sister's, uh, his mom's sister's son, um, who is not, yeah, I don't know if his, if both cousins are on the same side of the family, the one that got married and the other gay one. But yeah, there's at least two gay people in the family that. But is know. he also his own grandfather? Is that how that worked out? What? Because when you get into those strange family uh, relationships where someone's aunt marries a cousin and then that sister's brother's other half-brother comes over and then someone ends up being their own grandfather. Is this one of those situations? (laughs) I'm just going to ignore everything you just said. And... um, But anyway, I always do this when I talk. I always, I don't know why I do this in my life on the show, because I'm not usually this talkative in real life, but whenever you host a podcast, you have to talk a lot, and that's the point. It's probably why I'm not talkative in real life, because every time I tell a story, I think I have to tell 10 years of motherfucking background information before I actually get to the point of the story. And the point is that Patrick and I went to visit his cousin who got married. (laughs) Um, I don't know why anybody listens to this podcast, because I'm like the worst public speaker. Um... Uh, we went to the we went to Atlanta because his cousin who got married uh, they live there and I don't think I don't know I think they've lived there for about a year so they're like kind of fresh to the area and I think Patrick just sort of like remembered that they live there I don't know if they were like texting or something and so he'd been planning this trip for a little while to go see them um, and so basically we drove out there we uh, Patrick has every Friday off work I took Friday off work we drove out on Friday morning and got there Friday afternoon we basically just went. Um, we basically just kind of got there and they have a house and it's like, it's pretty nice. I mean, it's not like a mansion or anything, but it's like a, you know, a good size for the two of them. They have a spare bedroom. So we were able to stay with them all weekend. And, um, and we basically just like went out on Friday night with them. It was just the four of us. And we just went to a bunch of bars. We got dinner. We went to more bars. We went to 
a tiki bar. We went to this like broy like f- uh, karaoke bar that I immediately like got anxiety in as soon as we went into. So we left like really quickly, and then we went to like <laughs> it was just like wait 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 you got anxiety because what you're afraid they're gonna drag you up and do karaoke? No no not it wasn't anxiety about karaoke. It was anxiety about uh it was just really crowded and there was like a lot of like 22 year old like frat bros in it and. I don't, like, I, I can do crowds sometimes. I mean, I'm not, like, agoraphobic, but there's just, like, certain times where I enter a space and I immediately know that I don't want to be there anymore. And this was, like, one of those situations. Like, we walked in, and it was, like, it, it's, like, a three-level bar, and, like, the karaoke's in the basement, and you walk in on the main level, and there's, like, a second floor. And, like, walking into the first floor, it was just, like, shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of, like, bros and I was just like no I can't like I can't do this and so we were there for probably just like 20 minutes and then left because I was not I wasn't feeling good about it also I had to pee really bad so that like you know kind of like increased my anxiety about the situation Um, totally totally. yeah and then we went to a gay bar after that and I used a women's restroom for the first time in my life which is kind of a common occurrence at gay bars I think um so that was a thing. Because there's no women in the bar usually, right? Well, I mean, there were women there, but it was just kind of like a free-for-all. Like, I don't really know what, like, the restroom rules are in gay bars. Like, maybe I should know this or have, like, a primer for it. But I, like, got in line to go to the men's room, which I had used earlier that night. And then, like, Anna, uh, Patrick's cousin's wife, um, like, pulled me over to the women's room. And we were all, like, really drunk, too. And she was like, well, just use this one. And there were guys in line for both of them. So I think it was just, like pretty much a free-for-all, and, like, I go in the women's room, and it only had, like, two stalls. It wasn't, like, a big old restroom or anything, and there was, like, a woman waiting in line behind us, and and she, like, walked in front of us and, like, knocked on one of the stalls, and she was like, you guys need to hurry up. There's people waiting. Like, there's a line outside, and, like, the stall door opens, and, like, four men come out of one of the stalls, and they, like, exit the stall, and, like, one no, of the... I, mean, I, I knew think, you were going to say that, dude. Yeah, I like, knew. I don't know exactly what they were doing in there. I mean, they weren't, like, naked coming out of the stall or anything, but I'm sure that they were, like, doing something in there, and so, and, like, the, the woman that knocked on the door, she's like, look, like, I don't care what you guys are doing, like, but just, there's a lot of people waiting in line, so just do your business and get out of here. Like, you know, we're trying to, we all have to pee, we all need to get here, you know, let's just go, and so, like, that was kind of a funny, it wasn't, like, intense or, like, a fight or anything, it was just, like, a funny situation, um, but I got really, really drunk on Friday night, I was tweeting about it, um, and, uh, and then Saturday, I basically reserved the whole day to go hang out with some of my parkour friends that are there, so... Um, there's, like, a pretty big – I've talked about this before. There's, like, a pretty big network of parkour and, like, stunt people in Atlanta because Atlanta is, like, one of, like, the stunt people capitals of the world, I reckon. And, like, because a ton of movies are filmed there, um, like, almost all the Marvel movies are filmed partly there, uh, like uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and – um, I, I, I mean, I, that's not the only one. Like, The Walking Dead is filmed there, um, or at least to, like, the outskirts of Atlanta and stuff. So I know a lot of stunt people. I know a lot of parkour guys. I basically just went out with... I was pretty hungover on Saturday, and I went out with a couple of parkour friends and just, like, got... We got ramen and went back to one of the guys' uh, apartments and just, like, hung out pretty much. And I photographed him at a gym, and I photographed one of the other guys back at the apartment. Um, no, wait, wait, wait. Hold up now. Now, I don't know much about these guys, but when you say... We got ramen. Do you mean you went to, like, a Japanese restaurant which actually served, like, like full-on ramen? Or do you mean you stopped off at, like, a 7-Eleven, you got, like, a 79-cent pack of ramen, and someone got a cup of hot water? Like, what is the what is the barometer for these stunt people? Um, well, 
the the guys I was hanging out with, to be clear, were not stunt people. They're just parkour guys. There's like I don't parkour know, like guys. A, you know, I don't know a distinction there. But oh, I'm talking about like ramen, ramen. Like we went to there's a place in Atlanta that's pretty new called the Ponce Market. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and it's kind of like if you've ever been in the Chelsea Market in New York, it's kind of like that where it's like an indoor space. It's like two or three levels, and it's just kind of like a lot of like shops and restaurants and bars. But it's not like it's not like over the top or like sloppy, but it's just like a cool space to be in that has like a lot of little okay, shops okay. and stuff. And they have a bunch of sure. restaurants and they have a, a Japanese, um, they have a ramen restaurant right next to a sushi place. And um, so we got like actual, like real ramen, not just like bullshit. Okay. Like okay. Stuff, All right. Yeah. Just trying to get a beat on like, you know, what passes for ramen over there. But okay. That, that fills me in. I gotcha. Okay. Proceed. Yeah. I mean, the guys I'm hanging out with probably are not above buying 79 cent ramen and eating it, but, uh, you know, they have like, at least one of them has like pretty good taste, I reckon, in things in life maybe. Uh, so yeah, real ramen hung out at one of their apartments, uh, ended up staying over there until like four in the morning, which like we were, oh, hang on a second. Hang on. Sorry to interrupt you again. What? Just, just to be sure I wasn't, sh- I wasn't trying to shame anybody about like their ramen. <laughs> there was no ramen shame. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. It might have sounded like I was looking down my nose. No, what I meant by that was I came from a real fucking kind of like uh, white trash ghetto area of Washington. And like when you, when somebody said, do you want some ramen there? They would hand you a packet of dry ramen and then you would eat it dry. Like that's what they thought oh, of as ramen dang. over there. So so just that that's what I meant. Like I wasn't I wasn't being <laughs> snooty or anything. I was just like, are these like white trash dudes out in the woods eating dry ramen? Or did you guys have a sit down? Or like, what was it like? So that just kind of fills in the picture. So no, gotcha. no hate on the 79 cent ramen. <laughs> like I've been there, I've lived that life. So I, you know, no shame, no shame. Yeah, Sorry. I'm also, I mean, I'm, I ate my fair share of like, you know, single packets of, you know, dollar ramen whenever I was growing up too. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, never yeah, dry, yeah. I always cooked it. I didn't do dry ramen, but um, I, I'm familiar with it. Um, okay, all right. Yeah. As long as no one thinks I was shamed. So there we go. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, that's basically kind of it. I went out, just hung out with them all night, and then Sunday we got up. I went back to the house on Saturday night. Sunday night, got up, um, got brunch with uh, Patrick's cousin and his wife, and then and then drove home, um, got back in on Sunday night, probably around, like, I don't know, like, 5 or 7 or something, and... Um, and then that was pretty much it. I mean, it was a good weekend. The drive, like the drive's a little bit long for a weekend trip. Um, although it was kind of like a three day weekend. Um, but it was good. I had a good time. Um, it was nice to see that side of his family because like his cousin and his wife are both like super pretty like open-minded and really like liberal. And so it's nice to hang out with people like that. Cause not everybody in his family is. So it's like, good to find those people and kind of like mesh with them and, you know, be able to hang out. And, um, so yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good weekend, I think. Excellent. 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 That does sound like a good weekend. I, um, what did I do this weekend? I ended up, uh, working, although I am, I am now a stay at home dad. I, (laughs) you know, um, we, you know, it's expensive to live in Seattle. And so, uh, my wife has a really good job, but I still need to do a couple of hours here and there. I kind of do some, emergency interpreting or I do some last minute stuff or fill in stuff or anything that pops up that's unexpected. I'm kind of like the last minute go-to guy. And we had a a thing come in on the weekend. So I took care of that. That like devoured my entire Sunday. So I was just busy all day Sunday taking care of a situation and the rest of it. I mean, nothing really big happened. I mean, I think, um, I think the only thing even really worth mentioning was that, uh, like, I think it was Friday or the day before, um, I took my son to go see A Christmas Carol at a local theater, ACT Theater, a contemporary theater, ACT. Uh, I had never seen it 
live on stage before. I mean, I've seen many. I mean, there's like a billion versions on TV and in movies and all that. Uh, but this was the whole, you know, the Ebenezer Scrooge that gets visited by the three ghosts, you know, real traditional. Um, so we went to go see it on stage and it was interesting uh, because, I, I mean, it's tough to get through some of that because they kept the original script, which is like, you know, the oldie English, every word has an E at the end of it and everybody has the these and thous and that kind of stuff. And it was I mean, honestly, it's difficult to listen to it. I mean, I understand it fairly well enough, and it's just kind of exhausting because that language is so outdated. And I know that some theater people are like, oh, but the language is so beautiful and it's so expressive. And I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 I get that. Like, if you're down with that stuff, I get how it's nice and there's an art art to it for sure. Like, I'm not disparaging it. But, you know, when you're taking a nine-year-old kid to go see a show and there's like a bunch of other kids in the audience and the actors are spouting off about hither and thither and thou and thine and it's like it's like come on like i i was kind of hoping that they would update the language a little bit because it is it is very difficult to parse if you're a child and honestly there was a few moments where i was like what did you just say i do not understand but that aside i thought it was a very cool uh a staging of it because they did a great job with a very small budget i mean not not a tiny budget but they weren't like they weren't like a giant broadway show or anything but they uh, had great costumes, and the special effects were actually surprisingly effective for how small the theater was. And I think probably the the, the best part of it was when uh, the ghost of Jacob Marley, which is the first ghost which comes to see Ebenezer Scrooge before the other three ghosts show up, he showed up, and it was spooky as fuck! It was so <laughs> scary looking! He came up through a trapdoor in the floor, and there was tons of smoke, and he had like this fucked up makeup on where he looked like he was dead, and they had these, like, red gel lights on them and chains and shit. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, a theater. And I'm sitting, you know, like, in the audience, and it's totally not real. And I'm getting creeped out because this thing was fucking, fucking scary, dude. Uh, but that was really good. And I thought, um, overall, it was a good performance. I think the story of A Christmas Carol is a great story. Timeless, absolutely timeless. Uh, a good lesson to be learned there by anyone. Um, I, I would have liked, you know, updated English. But other than that, it was a great thing. So... Uh, I guess if you're in the Seattle area or the Pacific Northwest and you have the means to get down to act theater, go ahead and check that out. I thought it was quite good. Other than that, I just wanted to talk shit really quickly about Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Do you like Krispy Kreme donuts, Corey? Uh, I will only eat them if I have to. Like if someone like straps you down in a chair and has a gun to your head and like they're like, here, here's a Krispy Kreme or like how how would so how would you have to eat a donut? Like if they're available and there's no other donut in the immediate vicinity, then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it's a donut emergency and there are no other options, Krispy Kreme is what's going down. OK, I got gotcha. you. I mean, I'm kind of the same way, honestly. I'm, I'm kind of the same way, but I was uh, I was coming home. From the work situation I just told you about, I ended up being there basically all day. I was really tired, and I don't know about you, I don't drink, but, like, when I get really fucking tired, <laughs> I find that I want to eat really shitty food. I suspect there's probably a crossover with people who get drunk, um, and I'm like, oh, man, I hate Krispy Kremes, but I really want a donut, and nothing else is open around here, and I haven't had one for, like, a year, and maybe they're not as bad as I remember, and I'm really fucking tired, and I need some fat and sugar, like, right now. <laughs> So I, I pulled into the drive-thru, which is like the only donut around here that has drive-thru. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to have a drive-thru. Do you, so hold on, drive-thru. do you have Dunkin' Donuts there? No, we used to a while ago, but they closed. Every single location of their franchise left. So as far as I know... Oh, this sounds a bitches. 
Yeah, as far as I know, there are none left in the Seattle area. I used to go there because they were 24 hours and they weren't too far from my house. Uh, but they closed for whatever reason. They had a couple locations near the university because college kids like donuts. But they're all gone now. We have a bunch of other local chains. Um, we have Top Pot Donuts, which actually is my favorite. They're actually quite good. And uh, I think uh, President Obama visited them when he was there to get a couple donuts. And it was like a big to-do. They're very pro-social. They give like real good benefits to like all their employees. There's like profit sharing. And it's like a real progressive company. Uh, so Top Pot Donuts is really fucking good. And apparently it's good for you since they're so <laughs> great. We also have... Uh, Another donut place called Mighty O Donuts, which I think are nasty. They're kind of like organic and healthy donuts. <laughs> don't like them. They're gross. And there's a couple other like weird little mom and pop shops here and there that are just kind of weird. But uh, we have a number of we have a number of Krispy Kremes in the area. At least two or three that I can think of, which is weird. Um, so anyway, so 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 getting back to the story here, I, I'm feeling kind of like really really tired. I need something bad to eat for me. Something that's really unhealthy. And I'm like, okay, I need to get, like, a donut. They got a drive-thru. It's on my way home. Fine. I get a box of, like, six donuts because I'm like, well, I'll bring some home for for uh, the wife and son. I'm, it's not fair for me to have a donut if they're not going to have one. I'll bring uh -huh. one for them. Get home. And I, I got, like, a cake donut. I got a couple of glazed. I got, like, a chocolate one. And, like, we ate them. And these are fucking gross. Like, these are just, like, the <laughs> most disgusting donuts. They're mushy. They have way too much, like, sugar on them. They're, like, a fucked up, fakey, small circle shape. They don't even... I mean, they're made by some machine, obviously. And I'm just like, these are the worst fucking donuts. Like, the dough is too sweet. There's too much glaze on them. The cake donut was, like, not even edible. Like, it tasted like... Oh, like somebody stuffed, like, a sock stuffed with a lemon inside my mouth or something. It was gross. And I was like, this is, this is all fucking gross. Like, I don't understand why Krispy Kreme is so popular. I don't understand why... They're a nationwide chain. I don't know why people, like, flip out over them. Like, it's like you bring those into an office and people come running from every corner of the building to get it. I'm like, these are nasty. These are really, <laughs> really bad donuts. I We didn't even finish the box. I mean, they're they're tiny. I brought six. I think we threw away four. We didn't even fucking eat them all. It was, like, it was gross. And a donut's got to be pretty fucking bad to not eat a donut. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Am I offending you? Do you are you on board with this? What do you think? What's your take? I mean, I prefer. I don't really. I don't know. I'm not in love with Krispy Kreme, but I also probably wouldn't like rant about them at length on a podcast. <laughs> oh fuck, Krispy Kremes, dude. Oh gross. Because I love donuts, dude. I mean, I don't like chocolate. I'm not a chocolate fan, which kind of like already puts me in a small category of people because people think I'm fucking crazy when I say that I don't care for chocolate. Uh, and I like, a, you know, there's only a certain number of desserts that I really get down with, but I dig a good donut. Like me and donuts are tight and it's, it's really sad to me when I find one that is just fucking dog nasty. So I just, ugh, ugh, mm. gross, bread and man. donuts so are tight. You heard it here first people. We, that is, that is a true fucking fact. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, that's all I got, man. Uh, you got anything you want to say or should we roll ahead and just talk about some actual games? What, what's your, what's your feeling? Um, I give me like a 30 second window to talk about something really quickly. Um, Let's do it. 30. So you take, take 35, my friend. You've 35. All right. Um, start the timer. All right. I just want to, um, Boom. talk very briefly about there's a the news i don't know if it's a magazine anymore if it was or like the website in general called variety um they do a lot of like acting news and just like stuff like that sort of like show business news um they do this really cool yeah. thing what 
No, no, I mean, yeah, 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 totally. Oh, I yeah, thought, okay, cool, I thought you were No, 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 interject. yeah, I'm following you, All I right. get you. Um, well, they do a really cool thing every year, or at least I think it's really cool. Um, they have, like, a pretty successful YouTube channel as, like, a supplement to their news site where they do a series called Variety Actors on Actors, and basically once a year they do these pretty extensive... Um, I, I guess you could call them interviews, but it's basically like they just pair up two actors that have kind of been in like big movies during the year. Um, and it's sort of like kind of like an awards show, like wanky wanky thing, because it's usually like films that have like Oscar buzz and stuff. But it's really cool because they just pair up two actors. There's no like moderator. There's no script. There's no I mean, I'm sure they like discuss some questions beforehand, but it's not like a moderated thing. It's basically just two actors sitting um, in two chairs. There's no audience. There's no there's nothing. And it's not like a panel. It's just two actors sitting and discussing, like, you know, the movies they've been in recently. Usually they touch on, like, you know, the big movie they've been in that year. But they kind of just talk about anything. Like, they don't really talk about, you know, just one film each. They don't talk about, you know, Oscar season or anything. And today, uh, Variety released their sort of, like, 2018 version of Actors on Actors. And... Um, I, I think it's really cool because it's like it's one of those things where like you see actors doing their thing but if you want to like really kind of get like more of like a personal deep dive on just like an interesting discussion that they're in um, I think they're cool to watch to, uh, the ones that they released this year or at least I don't know if there's more coming out but the ones that they have out so far they have one with um, Lynn manuel Miranda who was the um, uber famous guy who basically wrote all of ha uh, Hamilton and acted in it and sang in it and that was basically like his big thing um, he's also he was on Actors on Actors because he's in Mary Poppins Returns which I don't think is out yet but I think it's coming out soon um, and he of course is sitting across the table discussing uh, movies with Lady Gaga, who is in A Star is Born. Oh, so shit. it's like the perfect pairing because it's two musical acts who have sort of like crossed over into like big Hollywood movies in a, in a sense. And these videos are like an hour long. So it's not like a little like 10 minute discussion between the two actors. It like gives them time to really breathe and have like a full hour long discussion where they just kind of talk about the movies they're in. Maybe they talk about producing, they talk about directing, they talk about people they've worked with. It's a really cool format. And I wish that more people, more like websites would do this. Um, but that one is out with Lady Gaga and Lin-Manuel Miranda. I watched the whole thing earlier and it's great because obviously I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan. Um, they also have one with Charlize Theron and Michael B. Jordan. Um, Charlize Theron being famous, of course, for uh, Tully was the movie she was talking about in this, but she's not really, that was like kind of a small indie movie, so it's not really like a big thing. But obviously she was in Atomic Blonde, which is my favorite thing she's been in lately. Uh, she was Furiosa and Mad Max Fury Road, which she talks about a little bit on it. Um, and then Michael B. Jordan is Killmonger in Black Panther. He was also in Creed and Creed Two. He's the lead, you know, opposite Sylvester Stallone. And that was a really interesting discussion because Charlize Theron is actually South African. She was like born and partly raised in South Africa, even though um, she is a white woman. I mean, you think South Africa, you maybe would think black people. And she's sitting across from Michael B. Jordan, who is black, who is American. So it was cool because they talked a lot about like the cultural rift that Black Panther created. And like Charlize Theron was born during the apartheid era in Africa. And so she was like talking about how that sort of affected her life growing up and how once she got older, she like came to fully realize what it was. And I don't know, it was just a really cool discussion to see like her and Michael B. Jordan kind of bouncing these, these themes about like race and about minorities in film and sort of about like paving the way for the future and this discussion that's just between the two of them. Um, and they have another one with, I think, Emma Stone and Timothy Chalamet from, uh, from uh, the movie where he's the gay kid. I can't remember what it's called. Um, 
Oh, um, Call Me By Your Name. Um, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. That one's the other one that's up. I don't know if it's published, but they've been talking about it. Um, they also have one from a couple years ago. They did one with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lady Gaga, which is cool. They did one with Jake Gyllenhaal and Margot Robbie. So it's just like a really cool thing if you're into like acting and actors and anything like that and just like listening to them have kind of like a, dis- a full discussion that's not like stifled by some dumb moderator or not interrupted by a crowd Q&A or anything like that. It's just the two of them talking. And um, I highly recommend that to anybody that's listening. It's just a cool kind of video series to watch. And it's pretty cool that they uh, just dropped it and the new ones are out now. That sounds pretty cool. I might check that out. Yeah, Your story, though, reminds me of um, in high school, we had a bunch of exchange students. Did you have any exchange students at your at your high school when you were coming up? Uh, maybe like one or two per class. We had actually a bunch, like a surprising number, and I don't know why we had so many, but we had a bunch of like super sexy girls from Mexico came up, <laughs> and that was like really, really head turning for a while. That was causing some disruption in classes. Oh uh, we had people from Japan. We had people from uh, very like like uh, Holland. We, I mean, we had people from like all over, and it was really strange. But we also had a kid who was from South Africa, and he was like totally white, like he was super blonde, and he was white. And he had an accent. And, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe some people don't know this, but th- there's a huge uh, population of uh, Afrikaans, white people in Africa, uh, South Africa specifically. And so there was like this big kind of like to do when he came and people would ask him, where is he from? And he's like, oh, I'm African. I'm from Africa. And like it was like not OK for him to say that, even though like <laughs> legit he was born in fucking Africa. He's from Africa. And people like like he, they thought he was trolling or he was starting shit or like whatever. And we didn't. I mean, the weird thing was like. In my area, we only had, like, maybe, like, four black people in our entire school. It was very white school because we came from a very white area. I mean, white trash, dry ramen eaters, like I said. So you know where I come from uh, in that aspect. But, like, people, like, really got offended. And, like, they told him to, like, knock it off and stop saying you're from Africa and stop telling people you're African. And I'm like, dude, he's, like, legit. Like, he is from there. Like, it is a fact. <laughs> like, I get, I get why they... I mean, I, I can understand it, but at the same time, people needed to fucking chill. So anyway, not I don't have any like any knowledge to drop on that. I just thought it was a funny situation that like, you know, here's this white kid who's like I'm African, and people are like telling him to shut up, and it's bizarre, bizarre. World is a funny place, man. World is a funny place. Yeah, well, I mean, whenever you're from America and you're not educated on international places, like it's hard. It's it really hard to wrap your head around it. Like I had a friend in college who went to he didn't study abroad in Africa, but he like went to teach for like a few months and I remember him coming back and talking to him and I was like 23 at the time or something or like 22 and like because I had never been really introduced to like anything that was like really big in Africa because me growing up when I thought of Africa I thought of like black African people carrying woven baskets of water on their heads through the desert. Like that's what was always shown to me. That's all national geographic ever shows. Yeah. And so when he got back, he was like, no, there's cities and roads. It looks just like, you know, there's skyscrapers. And, and I was like, what? Like really? And it's just embarrassing. Cause like, we don't, we aren't shown that, you know, as like, I mean, maybe that reflects where we both grew up. Cause I didn't grow up in like a big well-to-do um, area either, nor did I grow up in like an inter- international area. It was very white where I grew up, but yeah, I don't know. Like we could definitely improve our, we say that we would come back to this uh, here and there on the show, but I feel like United States education could definitely do to like better educate ourselves on stuff going on internationally. And it's just another example. 
Oh, 100%, dude. And I think that's really a big part of what's wrong with this country, just to, like, diverge a little bit. I think that because of geographically, we're so separated from the rest of the world. I mean, if you look at Europe, there's, like, all these different countries that are smushed together, and it's super common to, like, you have neighbors that are a different country on all sides of you, and they're close, and people are, like, crossing the borders all the time, and you, you meet these folks. Or, like, in Africa, where there's, like, a, a jillion countries, and everybody's kind of crossing over and meeting other people. But here in America, it's, like, you've got an ocean of, like, uneducated white people in, like, the middle of the country, and there's no one around. You never, you know, you rarely meet anybody from Europe or from, you know, uh, from Asia or anything like that that's, like, a, you know, it, it's just, you just don't meet them just because you're you're geographically and physically far away from them, so you don't have a lot of crossover with people. So I think that's a huge, that is a huge um, contributing factor to why Americans are so, like, uneducated when it comes to, like, the world, why they, they're so backwards with some of their attitudes and so just, just not knowledgeable um, I think just because we're so isolated and I, you know, of course I think the government really wants to keep it that way too. I mean, dumb people are easier to control. If, if, if more people had a good idea of how other countries are doing things right, like, you know, like healthcare or the way that they have their parliamentary system, or I was actually just watching a show where, um, they were talking about how America actually has the worst internet in the entire civilized world, but we keep <laughs> thinking we don't. And, you know, they were saying like, oh yeah, look at South Korea and they've got like 10 times the speed for like a 10th of the price. And, you know, here we are paying, like, hundreds of dollars for, like, this shitty-ass fucking broadband that would not be even, like, the bronze plan in South Korea. And we, we act like we got the whole uh, market cornered on that. So, I mean, I think that if we knew more about what we could have and how things were different, maybe we would not be so docile as a populace. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of factors involved in that. But, yeah, I agree. I think that America in general, and myself included, I'm not saying I'm above that. I mean, I got a lot to learn. I... Uh, but I'm open to learn. I want to learn. I want to keep an open mind. And I, I know there's a lot of stuff that I don't know. I'm sure it's the same for you. I mean, I think we're both, uh, pretty open to new experiences and new people. So hopefully we can get some of that education going, especially after the shit show that's going on right now. Hopefully that's going to open a lot of people's eyes and we'll, we'll kind of move forward as a society. Hopefully, 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 hopefully. Okay. Let's move on to the games um, because my voice is still working and I want to wrap the show before it stops working. So let's do that. Uh, also, thank you to everybody who's listened so far. I know we kind of did the show backwards this week, um, but we're kind of just going to do this all in one go rather than our usual routine. Um, so it's a little late to say it now, but if you don't want to listen to the banter, please skip ahead to the games talk. Uh, I guess we can, I guess we'll put a little extra info in the, dis- in the, uh, podcast episode description yeah i mean timestamps are always there y'all so yeah just check them um if you don't want to listen to our banter then you know you can look down there and see uh when the games chat starts yeah and next week when i'm feeling better we'll get back to our usual structure and we'll we'll have the proper show so please excuse me if you just listen to like 40 minutes of banter that you don't give a shit about i'm sorry about that but we're going to talk about games right now starting literally this moment Corey. are we i guess i need to ask you are we starting a new are we starting a new segment <laughs> Um, Are we starting the <laughs> Hitman hype segment? Because that might be a oh thing. We God. could do, we could do uh, Agent Forty Seven's Corner or something like that. I don't know. Um, what do you think? I don't know. I think. I mean, I I don't know if it's going to be a weekly thing, but I think it's something that's worth coming back to because um, because uh, IO Interactive is definitely um, they're always like kind of doing new stuff with Hitman. Like they're always putting out new contracts or new um, uh, the targets. Um, I can't remember what they're called right now, but the. Um, the elusive targets. Yeah, elusive. I like the word exclusive was in my head, and I was like, "That's not right." Um, exclusive targets. Uh, the elusive targets that are exclusive to Hitman, maybe. Um, 
Though, so, and you know, there's going to be DLC coming out in the future. So I'm sure that we'll be bringing it up or I will be bringing it up, you know, time and time again, probably not weekly, but, um, I did kind of want to discuss speaking of the elusive targets, um, the Sean Bean elusive target. I don't think it's still going on anymore. I think it might've wrapped up. It's over. Yeah, it is yeah, over. Okay. Huh? It wrapped up over the weekend, but I know you did it first and then I did it like two or three days after you. And I thought it might be fun just to like briefly kind of talk about how we both did it and just to kind of show like. I don't know the the fun of how it goes and the open open worldness of Hitman. Absolutely. Do you want me to go first? Or you want to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay, sure. So I jumped back into this because I wasn't going to because I was busy with some other stuff. But then I heard that you get like an exclusive suit, and I'm like, oh no, my OCD got triggered. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, if they're going to give a, an exclusive suit, I gotta get that, even though I totally don't need it and will probably never use it, and it's pointless for me to get it. But I gotta get it. So I jump back in to do the elusive target. This is takes place in the Florida map. And it was interesting because I had actually never done an elusive target before. I didn't do any of them with Hitman 1 because I came to the game so late. Most of them were over. And I don't, I'm not even sure how much of that bonus content you could even access if you bought the game much later. I don't even know. I'll have to research that. But anyway, point being, this is the first elusive target I've ever done. And I wasn't sure what to do. I know you talked about it before. I kind of knew generally that there's a guy who appears on the map. He does not trigger your instinct. Uh, there's a button in Hitman that you hold, and when you, you hold that button, it'll show your target in red. Like, you'll look at the whole map. It'll be like an X-ray vision thing, and your target will be red. But in this particular case, that guy does not show up. So you have to actually go and, like, get eyeballs on him to find out where he's at. So... I knew that was the thing. I knew that if you fucked it up, then you didn't get another chance. Like it was like a one, like a one time only kind of a chance. So the stakes are really raised. I was nervous doing this dude, because I'm like, <laughs> I'm a fuck around guy when it comes to Hitman. I save and reload. I make mistakes, fly by the seat of my pants. We've talked about this. You know that. And I was like, Oh God, I'm going to be so embarrassed if I fuck this up and Corey's going to totally do it. I'm going to hang my head in shame, man. But I went in there and the thing that I didn't expect was when you start this mission, the developers, like, like straight up tell you like four or five different ways to kill him. And they're very explicit about it. You begin the game and they're like, hey, Agent 47, here's this dude. Looks like Sean Bean. You got to kill this guy. What you can do is you can get um, this exploding pen and stick it in his hand. Or you can go to this booth and uh, bring your sniper rifle and shoot him across the window. Or you can, I'm like, whoa, they're literally telling me exactly <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing. That's crazy. I did not expect that at all. So I'm like, well, okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll take your... I mean, you, you just told me. I, I, I can't unhear it, and I can't unknow it, so I'll just do it. I, uh, I had already unlocked the sniper rifle. They do not give you one, I don't think, but I had, already, I had already unlocked one from earlier in the game during my playthrough. So I brought my sniper rifle, folded up in my suitcase, uh, started the level, walked through the underground tunnels, avoided security, got up to the race announcer booth... Uh, which was very, very unguarded. It was so easy to sneak up there. There was like basically nobody guarding it, and I was shocked. I thought I would have to kill a bunch of guards before I even got to the booth. Nope. Just walk right up, walk right inside. Uh, I think I might have had to lockpick the door, but that was about it. Go upstairs, shoot both of the announcers in the back of the head, and I was waiting for everybody in the crowd to like turn their head because I just killed two people on a live mic and they're announcing the race, but I guess nobody noticed that they were not dead. Suspension of disbelief. So, a little bit, a little bit. So I killed those two guys, popped open the sniper rifle. I had to wait for like maybe three or four minutes for um, Sean Bean to actually walk back into the room. 
And then I saw him, popped him once right in the melon, and walked out. Done, done, done. It, I mean, I got to be honest with you, dude. I actually thought it was too easy. Like, And I know that part of that was on me because I chose the way that they told me to do it. And I had the sniper rifle. But uh, it was actually quite easy. It did not even feel like a challenge at all. I was, I was never anywhere near close to failing it. Which was, I mean, on the one hand, good. Because I would have felt bad if I had fucked it up. Uh, but it was, it was quite easy. And I think that for somebody who has already been through Hitman, it would also be pretty easy. I imagine it was a cakewalk for you. What was your, what was your playthrough? Well, yeah. So whenever I, um, because, uh, James, uh, James Carter on Twitter, um, had, I think had asked you or asked both of us how we had done it or something like that. And so you guys started talking about it and this was before I had done it on Twitter and, um, and I was kind of surprised to hear, like you said, that whenever you had started it, the game had kind of laid out everything for you. Um, because when they did Elusive Targets on Hitman 2016, um, you know, they would there would be a briefing video, and they would maybe, like, Diana would maybe, like, tell you a little bit, like, oh, well, he might be hanging out here, he might be hanging out there, like, he's going to be making the rounds. And, but they never, like, specifically told you how to do anything. So, I mean, it makes sense, though, because this is the first Elusive Target. Um... Sean Bean has literally been on, on, on like, a press tour with the Hitman team, like, doing, like, panels and doing, like, uh, you know, kind of, like, events for the shows. So it makes sense that they would want to, like, really ease players in on this. So, I mean, you're not wrong. Whenever you launch up the thing, they basically tell you exactly how to do it in multiple different ways in the briefing. And I even think there's, like an opportunity like uh like the like the mission stories i even think there's like a mission story for it where you like meet up with an informant and he like takes you to this meeting and basically like does most of the work for you um so yeah i was kind of shocked to hear that but then the more i thought about it the more i was like well it makes sense because like an elusive target is the kind of thing that can really alienate players because it's it's really difficult there's no saving and reloading um it's kind of like a one shot and you're done thing and if you fuck it up then you lose and you never get to try it again um, so, I mean, I guess it makes sense. So whenever I went in, I knew what you had said about the way you had done it, um, cause you told me beforehand. And so I was kind of planning to do it the same way that you did. And so I took the sniper rifle and the suitcase in and I was like, okay, well, you know, just in case if I need it, I'm going to take it. And I went to the informant guy and I met up with him and he's like, Hey, I can take you to the meeting that he'll be in, but you can't go in that outfit. You have to be dressed as like one of these three disguises. And I was like, okay, perfect. So... I knew where a reliable Kronstadt security outfit was, but it was like all the way across the map. And for some stupid ass reason, instead of just finding a guard that was close by, distracting him, knocking him out and taking, and taking his outfit, I went for like the, the, the guard that I knew that I could always go back to that was like an easy way to get the disguise. But it, so I like ran my ass off all the way across the map. I climbed to the hotel rooftop because he's on the pink hotel rooftop. And I like throw a wrench at his face. I take his outfit. I run back to the to the civic center or like the. <laughs> this this is hilarious, by the way, because <laughs> this is a far away, and uh, you. I mean, I'm I'm surprised. Number one, that you even knew that guy was even there, oh, and that you I went do. all that way. Oh my god! I mean, I mean, of course. I mean, if anybody would know, it was you. <laughs> but like, it's hilarious because I actually got the the costume too, uh, before I decided to do the sniper rifle. There's a guy like literally in the lobby of that um, expo. 
Yeah, the Xbox uh, One. Like, right when you walk in? Yeah, if you jump over the counter when he's back his turn and you kill him right there, like, they literally, like, throw it right in your face. Did you, uh, did you think it was too risky, or did you not know that guy was there? I just don't think I knew he was there, because I had found the guy on the hotel, like, so early on in my plays, whenever I was okay. playing the, okay. the original one. I just, like, wanted to play it as safe as possible, because I knew I only had one shot, and I didn't want to fuck it up. So... And makes the, sense, makes sense. Yeah, and, like, so, of course, so, like, I run all the way across the map, I get the outfit, I run all the way back across the map, and the informant is gone. And, like, Diana had said in the briefing, she's like, this guy will help you, but he's not going to wait there forever. And I was like, oh, whatever, oh, they're probably just saying that. No, they were not just saying that. So, like, I run all the way back, he's gone, I'm scrambling to figure out what I'm going to do. So I go to the booth, like you did. I did I did all the same things you did. I mean, I lockpicked the door. Instead of killing the guys, I knocked them out because I wanted to... Um, you know, be as like non-lethal as possible. Stash their bodies. Um, and how I, did you knock them out? How? Because there's two guys. What did you do? Um, there's like a there's like an electrical panel that's like in the back hallway, and you can flip it, and one of the guys will come back, and he'll ins- he'll investigate it, and uh, I just knocked him out. That leaves the other okay. guy alone in the booth. I knocked him out. Um, and then like I pull out the sniper. I've got the sniper rifle ready and everything. I have the scope on the window, and I think to myself, you know, this feels like a really cheap way to do this mission, and I don't want to copy the same thing Brad did. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'll leave the sniper rifle here just in case. But I'm gonna see if there's another way to do this because I don't want to do the same thing Brad did. So I pack up the sniper rifle. I think I left it in the booth, and then I went in back into the civic center building and just like did some investigating, tried to figure out what I could do. And Sean Bean is basically being shown around by like an assistant in the building at like all the new weapons that Kronstadt is creating and stuff like that. He goes into a meeting where you can kill him with the explosive pen, but because I didn't get into the meeting with the informant, um, I could still walk into the meeting space. But I think the game like sets you up as, like, an accomplice, like, or as a presenter or something, um, if you actually go with the informant. And at one point, he looks at one of the androids, the killer androids, and I thought, okay, this there's got to be something here. Like, there's got to be a way to reprogram the android in order to kill him, because you do the same thing in the in the original mission with the, um, with the main guy who you have to kill totally. in the Miami mission. Totally. And so I went to the Kronstadt dude's office, Robert Knox, that's his name. I went to his office because I knew where it was on the top floor. And lo and behold, there is a photograph of Sean Bean on his office desk because he had been, like, doing intel on Sean Bean's character. I take the photograph. I can't remember if I took a security disguise or not. I don't even, or or an engineer disguise or not. I don't even think I did. I think I just went down to the the Android lab. And it's a different Android lab, by the way. It's not the same one from... uh, from the original mission, the android's just in a different spot. And I waited until the scientists and engineers were turned around. I scanned the picture and I waited in the outside hallway to make sure that it was going to murder him because I didn't want to like run all the way across the map and then have it like malfunction. Sure enough, he walked into the lab like five seconds later. The android shot him up. He died. Uh, I went back. I think I got the sniper rifle case and I left. And not only did I beat it, I got a silent assassin rating. So I unlocked, uh, I think I unlocked a couple things. I got the explosive pin and I got the Terminus hotel suit from um, Absolution. So I did it, um, you know, I didn't get like the highest score on the leaderboard, but I did it pretty flawlessly. That is pretty cool. That is a pretty good way to go. Um, I did spot the Android and stuff and I'm like, eh, I don't know. That's, that's, I, I felt like I was really going to fuck that up. I felt like it was the, the chance of me doing something wrong was pretty high on that. <laughs> uh, I was definitely not as confident as you were. Um, and when you, the thing that is crazy about that mission is like when they, I, so I waited for the informant. I jumped over the desk at first. Uh, I, I knocked out the guy who had the, the suit 
right there in the lobby. And then I followed the guy who was going to bring you to the meeting. And it took, I mean, he leaves quick because I walked in there. I looked around for a minute. I found the guy. I got the suit. And by the time that I had gotten the suit, which did not take me that long, he was already leaving. Like, he leaves, like, real oh, fast. Dang. So they want you to get that suit, like, pretty quick. So I had to actually run and catch up with him. And then I finally <laughs> caught up with him. And I go uh, inside. And there's, like, a bunch of people. There's, like, two dudes on the balcony outside or security guards. There's like three or four people in the meeting. Sean Bean is there. There's like, there's like literally nothing I can do in this room. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what am I supposed to do here? This is way too many people to kill. I'm never going to pull this off. Uh, and so I just, I, I got kind of cold feet with that approach. And that's when I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm doing the sniper rifle fallback. And then I went and did that. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to totally mess this up. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that you did it. Cause that was, uh, that was a pretty exciting story. Uh, I wonder, has there been any talk of, the next elusive target or are there any other talk of other modes coming do you know because you're, you're probably more up on the news than i am um, i know that they just released sort of like a content schedule if you will um the next elusive target is coming december 21st so it's like a couple weeks away and it's going to be in uh, santa fortuna which is the cartel uh, columbia level so that's going to be the next one Okay. All right. Well, we shall we shall keep an eye out for that. I'm sure we will uh, have more stories to tell at that point. Any other bits about Hitman, Hitman hype, Hitman corner, Agent Forty Seven shenanigans before we move on? Um, I um, the only thing the other only other thing I've done I did complete mastery on all the levels, so I got level twenty mastery on every uh, stage. Um, so I unlocked all the gear. I went back and played the Paris level once in the Legacy Pack. I played the Sapienza Italy level once, which I think is the best, still the best level um, maybe Hitman has ever done. Um, I played Ghost Mode again and had a really tense um, situation with another player. I got four points. He was at zero points. And then he either quit the game or we got disconnected and all my progress went away and the match was over, which Aww. made me sad. I like to believe that he quit because he was losing, but I can't be I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure he did. I mean, dude, there's no way he would have come back from like you being four up on him. There's no way. I mean, I mean, I would have quit too. So yeah. Um, one thing I did discover about ghost mode that I think is kind of hilarious is whenever, um, cause you have to kill the same targets in parallel universes. Like I was talking about last week, but whenever one of you kills your target, the other player, I think, only has, like, 30 seconds to kill their target, and then it goes away and then moves on to the next target. Oh, really? So, I did not know that. Yeah, so in a way, you can, like, kind of, like, sabotage, because you can't... The only way for the kill to count is if nobody sees it 10 seconds after it happens. So, like, my target, my, my partner, not partner, but my adversary and I were both in, like, one of the tunnels, like, the parking tunnels underneath the, the stadium, and there was a target... And, like, we were both standing there, and he's in his parallel parallel universe. I'm in mine, so I can see his ghost. And I'm thinking, like, okay, we, we got to kill this guy. Who's going to get him first? But there's, like, people around. So it's weird because it's, like, a hurry-up-and-wait thing. Like, you get there, and you're like, okay, one of us has got to get this guy. we got to kill him within 30 seconds of each other, or we lose the point, but we can't kill him and get noticed. And so the other guy just, like, shoots him in front of the crowd, and which takes away my chance to kill him because he didn't move away. Um, you know, in my universe, within 30 seconds of the crowd. So it was like a weird, like, he kind of sabotaged me in a way. I don't know if he did it on purpose. I'm guessing he didn't. But it's just kind of a funny way because, like, if you see that somebody's going for a target and you, like, maybe know that you can't get there, like, maybe, 
Um, you can kill them in a way, or like you can, I don't know, it's kind of like a, like nobody wins scenario. Like you don't let them get the points, so you sabotage it for both of you kind of situation. Uh, but I just think that's kind of an interesting tactic. I hope that they bring that. I'm sure they will, but I hope they bring it to the other maps soon because I like it, but it being stuck in the Miami map over and over again is getting kind of old. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. All right, well, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I haven't tried that yet, but I'm sure that I will get there at some point. Um, I still need to do the Patient Zero campaign, but I'm kind of wrapped up in some other things. So I will I will save it for later, but I, I do want to get to it and try Ghost Mode and all the other goodies, um, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure we will be talking about Hitman again. Let's move on really quickly. <clears throat> Excuse me, I can feel my voice starting to uh, get a little weaker, and we've got quite a ways to go here, so we're gonna we're going to move things along. For me, this episode, I just have a couple of really quick shout-outs. Nothing really super deep until we get to the Invisible Hours, which will come up at the end. Uh, we will give spoiler warnings before we get there. But uh, for now, I want to just give a quick shout-out, number one, to Warframe on Switch. Uh, people know that I love Warframe. I'm, I haven't played it for a while, but I still love it. Still have it on my PS4. Still have the statues and shirt and hat and poster and all the other things that I've gathered, and I love it. And I do plan to come back to it when the big update drops, I think, in January. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But what I'm talking about today is the fact that Warframe now exists on the Nintendo Switch. And it is a thing that you can do. Which, I gotta say, is staggering to me. Um, I don't remember the name of the people who ported it. But apparently they are fucking, like, wizards. <laughs> the darkest wizards doing the most, you know, satanic magic. Because... <laughs> I never, ever, 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 ever thought the Switch would be capable of running Warframe. No fucking way, but they totally did it. And I tried it, I downloaded it, and I have to say, not perfect, but holy shit. It is, it is legit. Like, it is, it is for real pretty good, and definitely good enough if you're a person who has never played Warframe before. Like, if this is your only way to play it, 100% do it. Like, it is totally worth doing. I, my jaw was on the floor at how good the, the port was. I mean, as someone who has spent like 250 hours on PS4, I noticed a little thing here and there, like maybe one animation gone here or a little different thing over here. I mean, who cares? Like it was so minor. It was so no big deal. I, I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, all the online stuff is there. The uh, connectivity with other players and back to the, the, the main servers is still there. Fast action, the missions... I, I, that was staggered. These guys deserve a, a round of applause. And in fact, an interesting anecdote that I heard was that they did such a good job in optimizing Warframe on the Switch that um, Digital Extremes, who are the developers who originally created Warframe, were actually shocked and surprised. And they learned a couple of programming tricks from those guys who ported it. And the stuff that they learned from the Switch version went back into the other versions and re-optimized the PS4 and Xbox One and PC versions. So now it actually runs better on every system because these guys on the Switch figured out some things that the people who created the game didn't figure out. So that's pretty fucking amazing. Those guys must be just like super mega geniuses over there. And I'm sorry <laughs> that I forgot their name, but they're the ones who are doing a lot of the, the Switch ports right now. And I bet they are making serious bank because they're doing stuff that nobody else can do, apparently. Um, so Warframe is really great. One thing to know, is that if you have a PC account for Warframe, like if you started your game on PC, you can switch to the Switch, but you cannot go back. Like, it's not a back and forth sort of a thing. You can migrate once, and that'll be it. If you have an Xbox One or PS4 account, you cannot migrate to the Switch. 
and it doesn't it doesn't go either way. You can't go from Switch to console or console to Switch. The only possible thing you can do is either A, start a brand new game on Switch, or B, uh, if you have a PC account, bring it to the Switch, but then you can never go back. So that's what's available right now. Uh, because of that, I will not be playing the Switch version because I'm already so deep in the PS4 version. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to start over on that. And if we could go back and forth, that would be amazing. And I would totally 100% do that, but that is not the case. So I'm going to stay on PS4 because I just, I, I'm not going to start fresh, but if you've never been in Warframe, holy cow, I cannot believe that game runs and as well as it does on the Switch. Also still free, free to play. And if you have never tried Warframe, this is a perfect place to do so. Uh, Corey, I know that we, we talked about Warframe before. You gave it a couple tries here and there. I don't know. Is this of any interest to you? Do you not care? I mean, what? how does it matter? Not matter? Uh, well, I already downloaded it and tried it on Switch, so I guess it matters to some extent. Uh, are you planning on giving it another shot just because of the portability? Um, yeah, I like the idea of being able to play it portably. Um, I have only tried, I only literally, I think I've only played like one mission so far. I just kind of downloaded it to try it out. Um, and obviously I don't have, you know, I only played the PS4 version for maybe like four hours or five hours or something. Um, so I don't have, you know, I'm about 245 hours short on your time spent with it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, from what I had played on the PS4 version and what I played on the Switch, it feels very comparable. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Doom on PS4 and Doom on Switch. Like, like yeah, obviously it's not going to look as good. There might be very, very, very tiny corners cut here and there on things. But like to the untrained eye, it's just as comparable of a port. So, um, so I think it's good. I also come back to the idea when I think about games being on Switch, because I thought about this with Hitman the other day, Hitman 2. I was like oh, you know, they didn't announce it on Switch. Like, I don't think anybody's clamoring for Hitman on Switch, but, like, I wonder if they could put it on Switch. And I always come back and think, Doom 2016 is on Switch. If that's on Switch, like, fucking anything can be on Switch. Like, I still think about the Switch as this tiny little, like, underpowered portable console that, like, you know, can't muster up, you know, the might to run these, like, PS4 and Xbox One games. And then I think about Doom, and I'm like, okay, if Doom's on there, if Wolfenstein's on there, if Warframe's on there, then, like, Obviously, the Switch is a powerhouse, but it's just got to be used and optimized in the right way. So I, I like, um, you know, this kind of continuing effort to bring sort of games that maybe you wouldn't expect or maybe you think would be too big or too mighty for Switch to the Switch. I agree. And I, if memory serves, I think the people who ported Warframe also were the ones who were involved in doing the Wolfenstein and Doom ports. I'm pretty sure. I may be mistaken, but I think they are. Uh, so, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I don't think the Switch... I'm not, I'm not the guy that wants every single game on Switch. I think that the Switch does a number of things really, really well. And I love it for indie games or smaller games or pixel games or 2D games. Or I mean, I think there's a certain type of game that I love on the Switch and I want on the Switch. And that's where I want. I'm not, I don't want everything on Switch. I think PS4 is great for some things. I want a big TV for some things. But it is amazing what they're pulling off. I mean, these guys obviously have some serious skill um, under their belt to be able to pull this off. And uh yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, if Warframe and Doom and Wolfenstein can be there, I mean, I mean, basically the sky's the limit, and it all comes down <laughs> to how smart are you at programming. So there you go. Um, another quick shout-out for me. I'm going to do a couple here, and then we're going to do Deep Dive, and then we'll be out uh, just to give a heads-up to the people listening. Uh, I Over the Black Friday weekend, people were buying tons of games, and I heard a lot of whispers about stuff on 3ds going on bonkers super sale and i'm like holy shit i don't even know where my 3ds is anymore like i haven't played it in so long and it was a faithful companion for many years uh so i'm like oh okay well you know i wasn't planning on buying a bunch of stuff but 
I, I haven't fired my 3DS up in so long. Maybe I'll check it out and see what's what. Maybe I'll buy something. So I did I did manage to find it. Had to charge it up because it was like 100% dead, of course. <laughs> uh, jumped on the eShop. And there was nothing I really wanted to buy. I mean, I think I've already bought everything that I really care about on the 3DS. And it's I haven't played it all, but I have it, you know, saved my, my console. And I'll, I'll get to it someday. Uh, but when I, when I fired it back up and opened up and saw all the games that I had on it, I'm like, oh, shit. I have uh, all three of the Box Boy games, and I didn't finish them. I finished the first one called just Box Boy. Uh, do you remember? It? I, I talked about it on the show like a while ago. Do you remember me talking about this? Not from the title, but if you get into the discussion, I might remember it. So these are brilliant, brilliant puzzle games on the 3DS. I think that's the only platform that these games are on. And, and not like I just said, I'm not that guy, but these games need to be on the Switch. Like I, They need to do... Every box boy game on the Switch it would be very easy port. Anyway, uh, you star as a box with two eyes and two little teeny tiny little legs, and you are in these kind of abstract levels. And what Box Boy does is he makes more boxes. So he makes kind of like it's not that he makes copies of himself, but he can just like make boxes. He's a box that births boxes on demand, and you can make a single box. And then if you make a box, you can jump on top of it, or you can drop it down a pit to fill up the pit and walk across it. Or you can throw it if it needs to go somewhere. Or you can stack it. I mean, you can do whatever box things you would normally be able to do with a box. <laughs> uh, but in addition to that, he can also make chains of boxes. So he can make like three boxes in a row and they can be stuck together like to make a bridge. Or if you stick them vertically, they can make like a little tower. Or you can do uh, like an S shape and you can use that to fit into an S shaped hole or, you know, whatever. He can do... All sorts of things with boxes. I mean, and the thing that's brilliant about Box Boy as a series is the developers have taken that concept of a box that makes boxes and they have done like literally every fucking possible permutation of this that you can possibly think of. Um, they've just done like everything that you can do. And it's it's so great because each cluster of levels um, has a different challenge and they're all totally different from the last thing you did, but they're all box related. And they all test your brain in a different way. Like in the beginning, it's just about making simple boxes. Later on, you're making like bridges or walls. Like later on, you're um, filling in holes and other ones. You're uh, using them to like climb. And I mean, like every time you get to a new level, it's like it's stuff that you already know how to do, but maybe you didn't realize you could do it. And then this challenge asks you to do it. And then you're like, oh, I can do this. And like you add one more tool to your toolbox. And as you keep going the game gets gradually and gradually more complicated, but it's all stuff that they've trained you very well on. And the implementation is just really, really, really super brilliant. I, I love the Box Boy games. So I finished Box Boy 1 a while ago, talked about it on the show briefly, and there are two more sequels which are out. The next one is called Box Box Boy, and the third <laughs> one is called Bye Bye Box Boy. So I once I remembered that I had these, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot I never finished these. I love these games so much. I totally want to play these again. So I fired Box Box Boy up, and it's great. I mean, it's great. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, the first Box Boy, I did not review it. If I had reviewed it, I think, I mean, it would, I mean, we're talking like probably a perfect 10 because it's so brilliant. It's so measured and controlled. There's, there's no flaws in this game. It is a flawless game where every single aspect is polished and thought through and measured and so intentional and what they do with the premise is so thorough and so exhaustive in a good way. I mean, basically a perfect puzzle game. Uh, and Box Box Boy is more of the same. I love these games so much. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I think if you've got a 3DS handy, you owe it to yourself if you're a puzzle fan to play the Box Boy games because they are fucking brilliant. They are so <laughs> good. 
and I don't hear anybody talk about them. I, I mean, I think I may have heard like one friend a couple years ago talk about them. They're not in the discussion. Nobody really knows about them. Nobody's tried them. They're not on Switch, uh, and the 3DS is kind of, you know, fading into the sunset. So I'm a little bit worried that these games are going to disappear and no one will have ever played them, really. So I want to just give a shout-out to the Box Boy, Box Box Boy, and Bye Bye Box Boy, because, boy, these are fucking amazing puzzle games. Corey, uh, I, is this ringing a bell for you? Are you interested? Have you heard any any relationship at all to the Box Boy series? I haven't. Um... I, to be completely honest with you, I don't even remember you talking about these when you brought it up on the show before, um, but I trust, I mean, this doesn't sound like something I would play, but I trust your judgment and it being good. So good, so good. So any 3DS owners out there, if you still have your 3DS or if you want a really good puzzle game, I think they're all pretty cheap. They're like five bucks or seven bucks or something like that last time I checked. Uh, these, they're great. Just get the trilogy, just get them. And I hope that somebody will bring these to Switch it would be an effortless port to switch. There's nothing that would be really tricky. They're not graphically intensive. I mean, it's like simple. The guy's a box and there's like lines in the level and it's, they're really black and white and it's, there's not even any color to the game. It's really, I mean, these things need to be on switch. No excuse. So anyway, love box boy and the entire series. Um, shout out to that. Uh, I have a couple quickies to do. And then you want to talk about invisible hours, Corey? Am I, am I clear to proceed here? You are clear to proceed. All right. Just a really couple quick shout outs. Um, well, not shout outs, more like shout downs, oh, maybe, no. or sh- yeah, these are, I am continuing last week's uh, trend of playing bad games. Uh, the first one is Octung Cthulhu Tactics. Uh, you know, I like Cthulhu stuff, and I also like tactics stuff, so I'm sure you can imagine why I check this out. Um, it is a standard isometric turn-based tactics game, very similar to something like XCOM. In this particular game, apparently this is a board game. I have never heard of the board game, but apparently it's a well-known board game in certain circles. And this is a video game translation of that, which explains why some of the systems are the way they are. But you have a team of four people, and they are predetermined personalities. You cannot choose like what class they are or anything like that. And you go into these levels, and you shoot Nazis, and the Nazis are apparently trying to research occult Cthulhu, spooky, zombie, creepy stuff, and you got to stop them. So, I mean, hearing that much, I was on board. I like Cthulhu. I like turn-based tactics. I like stuff like this. It seems like right up my alley, but I got to say, I got real bored of it real fast. Um, It is just like Tactics Game 101, like nothing really special about it. Uh, the graphics are not great. There's no real story to talk of. Like, you know, they say, oh yeah, the Nazis are doing Cthulhu stuff. Okay, but like, there's no cutscenes. There was no, you know, uh, interesting animations. You don't really get to even know your squad. Like, you only have four people and they didn't have any kind of, oh, this is the leader and he does this and this is his personality and here's the second in command and she does this. And it's nothing. Like, you just get these characters and there's a little text to read, but that's about it. Like it's nothing to really attach you or no narrative juice can kind of string the whole thing together. And you just go through these levels, like a bunch of levels, like in the beginning, you're in the woods outside of the Nazi headquarters and you're just like going through woods and shooting guys in a tactics way. And then you get to the next map and you shoot more guys in a tactics way. And I'm like, man, this is dull. It is really dull. It's just like, um, just, it's nothing it is like it is like the dry turkey sandwich of video games where there's just like 
white bread and a slice of turkey, but no condiments, no pickles, no onion, nothing fancy. Just like it is literally what it says it is, but that's all it is. And there's nothing fancy. And there's like a million other choices out there, which are tastier. So um, I do not recommend uh, Octoon Cthulhu Tactics at all. With so many other tactics games out there, there's just there's just no reason to play this one. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Well, uh, moving on from that one, uh, another quick shout down to Fist of the North Star Paradise Lost. Are you familiar with this one? I'm familiar with, I mean, I haven't watched it, but Fist of the North Star is an anime, correct? It is an, I think it started off as a manga and then it became an anime. I think it's a couple other, you know, it kind of became like an IP for a while that, that was bounced around a couple years ago. But yeah, basically. Uh-huh. All right. I, well, I mean, I've never watched it. That's my only frame of reference. I think it's just like hearing people on Twitter talk about the anime and that's it. Okay. So I am not an expert on this property. I, I knew of it. I've heard of it a million times because when anime first came to America, this was one of the ones that got talked about a lot because it was hyper bloody. Uh, the, the gist of this story is that uh, there's a guy named Ken who is some kind of like superstar martial artist that does acupressure moves, which sounds really weird. Like maybe he's going to be a massage therapist, but it actually <laughs> what happens is he pokes you with one finger and then your fucking head explodes into like 8,000 pieces. So the comic was really, really super bloody. The anime apparently was really bloody. And that was what got a lot of attention back in the day. That was what it was known for was being hyper gory and violent and bloody. So... I was aware of it, but not really a fan, and I saw that it was uh, getting a new installment. It's It's been made into a game a couple times. They've all been garbage, uh, but this one was being made by the Yakuza team, and I'm a pretty big Yakuza fan, so I thought it was worth a look-see. Um, and that's basically all it was worth to me. I got it from uh, Gamefly, and I have to say, I don't like the art style at all. I do not like this guy's art style, and this art style translated into... 3D is, like, even more ugly than it looks on the page. Like, everybody just looks really weird. And um, it's hard to believe it's not some kind of, like, a gay porn hentai sort of a thing. Because that's really what it looks like to me. Which is fine. I mean, you know, not my jam. Maybe some people out there dig it. Totally fine. Everybody's got their own jam. But for me, not my thing. And I just, I don't like this guy's art. And as you start playing it, it is just, like fight a bunch of the same dudes over and over and over and over and over and watch the same cutscenes of their heads exploding a thousand times and you're doing little fetchy quests which are really boring i mean structurally you might say that it's very similar to yakuza but i think that the star of the yakuza series has much more charisma there's a lot of humor in that series there's a lot of funny situations that pop up there's a lot of interesting weird things that pop up and so there is definitely some boring parts to yakuza but there's a lot that counterbalances it um, I didn't play far enough in Fist of the North Star to see if that happened, but I was really bored by the first, like, maybe two hours, and I'm like, I just can't even, it just, seeing the same explosions of blood and the same martial arts moves over and over and over and over, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore, so I sent it back to Gamefly pretty quick, um, kind of, I was, I guess I was maybe expecting a little bit more from the Yakuza team, but... I mean, they are also bound by the IP. So, I mean, I think that it was very faithful to the IP as far as I know. I'm not an expert on it, but it seemed like they were. So I, I got rid of it pretty quick, though. So shout down for that one. Any interest, Corey? Uh, definitely not. All right. Um, so that's all I had to say on those. I have a couple more things, but we're going to put those aside for next time. 
I think we should probably segue into our main event, if that seems like good timing to you. It does. All right, cool. Um, so I think this is probably the perfect time to say, um, if you listened to last week's episode, we are now delivering on that promise. We are going to be talking about The Invisible Hours, created by Tequila Works. And this is our deep dive. Um, it's not going to be a four-hour extravaganza like we do with Hitman 2. But we are going to talk about the game in depth. We're going to talk about the story beats. We're going to talk about the ending, the spoilers, anything else. Uh, if you want to play this game, and I think that you should, very short, it's very worthwhile. I think it's a great experience. Don't listen to this segment. Like, save it, <laughs> pause your podcast, get out of here, go play the game, come back, and then see what we had to say. We're going to spoil literally every single thing about this game starting right now. So please don't spoil yourself if you want to play this game. If you don't care, then please join us and talk about this. Maybe it'll fire up your interest and maybe you'll play it afterwards. Uh, would still be worth a play even if you know what's coming. But we are about to spoil it. Corey, are you ready to talk about The Invisible Hours? I am ready. All right, great. I am uh, needing a glass of water. Would you mind starting us off in this segment? Oh, gosh. Um, yes. Give us, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to throw that on you. I, I feel my voice is about to go out. Would you like to give us a brief encapsulation of what is the Invisible Hours, what is the premise, and uh, how does it work? What is what is the Invisible Hours? All right, the Invisible Hours is a game from, it's uh, developed by Tequila Works, which we've talked about a handful <clears throat> of times on the show before. Um, and it is written by Rob Yescombe and it basically is a murder mystery kind of like play. I mean, it really like, I think at the beginning of the game, they kind of tell you that it's unlike, you know, it kind of follows a different format from other games, or maybe that's in like the steam, like sale page or something. Um, and it's true. It's not, you don't actually play as a character in the game. You play, you kind of play as yourself going to the theater, which might sound really dull, but it's not really dull. Um, the lobby of the game, because it's in VR. It originally was developed from the ground up in VR, and I didn't realize that until I played it. And then they later uh, ported it to flat screens, so you can play it on PC um, without VR. It's also on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Um, I played it a little bit on PC on the flat screen, too, so I've got a little bit of um, experience in both of them, but I played it about 90% in VR. And you basically, the story of the game is um, you spawn on this island, and by spawn, I mean you're like just an entity. You're not a person, you're not a character, you're not anything. You're just there to observe. You're kind of like the camera. You're the fly on the wall in the game. Um, the well, I think before you, before you go, I think one thing that we should probably mention, which actually I totally understand why you didn't mention this at all, is like how the game begins is you are like looking at a menu in a theater and you get like a ticket yeah, and you put a ticket inside a booth and then you walk into like a, a balcony, you know, box or something like you're going to watch a theater and then you're kind of looking at projected on the screen and then you're in the game, right? Yeah, totally. Like it, it literally, <clears throat> like when you start the game, it looks like you're walking into a theater. I mean, it's pretty faithful. It's like kind of a lavish, like red velvet carpet kind of thing. You walk up to the, you're at the ticket booth. If you're in VR, you reach out your hand, you pull. It's kind of like a slot machine. You like pull the slot machine thing. The ticket comes out. You grab the ticket with your controller slash your hand, and then you, um, you feed it into the thing, and then it spawns you into like a theater box, kind of like a, you know, like an old timey, like you're up kind of in the rafters um, theater box, um, and then it kind of the curtains open on the stage, and then it kind of transports you into what's going on on the stage. And when the game opens or when like the play opens or whatever you want to call it, um, it, uh, it sort of, um, 
it, it spawns you on a dock on an island, and the first person you see is there's a cast of characters, and we'll talk about all of them. But the first person you see is uh, is a man by the name of Gustav Gustav, and he is a I think he's like a retired private detective or a retired police detective or something like that. He pulls up uh, on a boat onto the island, and you kind of follow him because you're free to move however you want in the game. Although you're an entity and you're not a person, you can um, you can walk around however you see fit. You can even walk away from Gustav if you want to. You don't have to watch him, but I mean, it's kind of advised that you do because it's the only thing going on in the scenario. You follow him up to the mansion. There's a big manor on the island, and it turns out that the manor belongs to Nikola Tesla. Um, however, when you get inside the manor, it becomes apparent that Nikola Tesla had invited uh, like a handful of people from all different sort of like social classes and walks of life to this manor in order to... Um, I mean, at first they don't tell you this, but he sort of like tells them that they're able to sort of like right any wrongs that have happened in their past. So it kind of leads you to believe that everybody has like, you know, a thing going on. But the big news, you know, the, the burying the lead here, if you will, that I'm doing is that Nikola Tesla was murdered right before everybody got there. <laughs> so when Gustav walks in, Tesla's dead body is on the floor in the, man in the manor lobby. And it kind of, the, the opening uh, area of the manor kind of reminds me of Resident Evil. It's kind of very similar. Like, there's a staircase with stairs on both sides. It's like two stories. Um, it's very kind of lavish. And basically because Gustav is a, or he's formerly a detective, he sort of takes it upon himself to investigate the murder. And so that basically turns into, it's a four-act play or game, or I, I don't know what to call it. I'm sure Rob, I know he's going to listen to this. He's probably laughing at us because we never, I don't know what to call this game. Um, and uh, it's, and because it has a cast of characters, um, you basically, and you're not a real person, you can just follow whoever you want around the mansion. And it's sort of advised that you play through the scenes over and over again in order to see where everybody goes, what everybody does, um, to whom everyone talks, uh, what they do when they're talking. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of like this dinner party murder mystery theater thing. Um which is something that, to my knowledge, hasn't really been done in games before. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but and I like what it's doing. Um, but that's sort of it as like kind of like a mini deep dive on like what the story is and how the game acts. Um, did I leave anything out, Brad? No, that sounds like a really good encapsulation. I mean, I think the big takeaway is that, you know, like like when you start the game up, it literally tells you up front. They're like, this is not a game, but it's also not a movie. It's something else. So please, you know, keep that in mind when you start to play, which I think is a good a good little disclaimer because like it's it's weird to encounter something like this because it is like you said, it's like it's like watching Clue or, um, you know, something like that. And everything that's going to happen is going to happen. And you can't affect anything, but just by you being in the world and being able to watch whoever you want to watch, whenever you want to watch it, being able to rewind time or fast forward time, it really adds a very, just kind of a secret sauce to the whole thing. Like if this was just a cutscene, I I mean, I might watch it as a movie or something, but it really adds like an extra layer when you can get in and go around and look at things. Like for example, when a character holds out their hand and they've got something in their hand, you can stop the game and like actually like go over there and look and see what they've got in their hand. Or you can, you know, uh, just, you know, just kind of just be in the space and kind of get a sense of what's going on. And I, I thought that was really actually pretty cool because most of the, I mean, so the entire game takes place on this tiny island, very tiny. It's like a house with a big yard, basically. <laughs> there are like two tiny little outdoor out of structures. There's like a power, power, uh, 
electricity tower or something on one end and there's like generators on the other end and you can look at those if you want to but basically like 90 percent of the game takes place in just one house and so you just walk around the house and most of the house is just a normal house it's a big house but a normal house and just you get to know where the rooms are and where the people are kind of going and you got to see like what spaces they take up and just being able to float around in there and just take it all in however you see fit is, is great. Like it's a very unique experience. I played it flat by the way. And I thought it was totally engaging flat. I did not feel like the game was missing anything for me not having been in VR. We'll talk about that in a second, Corey, but apart from the VR, how, okay. So how did you play the game? For me, what I did was there are, I think, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think there's like six characters, main characters, eight, there's six, eight, I don't know. Eight. Eight characters. Okay, thank you. So there's eight characters, and you can follow each one. So what I did was I started with Gustav in every chapter. I watched his whole story, and each each chapter takes about, like, what, 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes or something in real time, something like that? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Give, give or take. So I would watch all 20 minutes of Gustav, and then I would go back, and I would start with the next person, whoever was next in line, which was, like, uh, Tesla's assistant, which I'm Flora. And I would watch all of hers. And I would just go through like that. Like, I rewind the whole thing, watch all of Flora, rewind the whole thing, watch all of the next guy until I went through all eight of them. And then I would have a total idea of what happened in that chapter. Now, how did you play? Did you play one person all the way through? Did you do the same thing that I did? Did you just follow your whim? Like, what did you do? Um, I started kind of doing the same thing you did. I mean, because the game spawns you on the dock, it kind of like... I mean, leads you to maybe believe that Gustav Gustav is kind of like the protagonist, although he's not. there's not, like, any real one protagonist, but he's the first person you see. And he's sort of the central investigating fact, like factor of the game. So for the first chapter, I, I did that. I watched all of his stuff, and then I went back and I followed everyone else around the chapter to get an idea of what they were doing and where they were going and, um, you know, kind of what discussions they were having. And then when I got to chapter two, I think I did the same thing in chapter two. I started with uh, Gustav, and then I went and I followed everybody else. And then I actually played this game over the course of like a couple of weeks because I was busy and I was doing other stuff. And so by the time I got to the third chapter, um, I kind of like knew I had to finish it up kind of quickly because I was going out of town and everything. And, but I didn't shortchange the game. I want to make that clear. But on on the my the chapters three and four. Um, I was using, I wasn't really using the rewind and fast forward function like at all on the first two chapters. I would basically just let the chapter complete. I would go back to the beginning and then I would start it completely over. But in chapters three and four, I was kind of just like rewinding, pausing and fast forwarding like a lot. Like I would follow, you know, most of Flora around and then I would like remember when she like passed by someone earlier and then I would like rewind it and I would go back to that person. So I was doing like little snippets, but I still probably saw like most of what happened. I didn't watch everybody 100% for the game, but I probably watched everybody for at least like 80% of the game. Um, and then there's other stuff going on too, like that's sort of like post game stuff that we'll talk about later. Um, but that's sort of generally how I did it. I tried to follow all the characters. I didn't follow them 100%, but I did follow them, follow most of their stories most of the time. All right, cool, cool. So let's let's talk about the stories a little bit because, like you say, like the game begins and you think it's ostensibly a murder mystery about who killed Nikola Tesla, which is true. Uh, but like everybody in this in the game has their own story, their own motives, their own agenda, and it, it, it kind of unravels as you follow them around. Because I don't know about you, but like what I usually found when I when I played this game was I would have an idea of what I wanted to see or what I thought I was going to see. 
I would follow that around. And then you'd be watching a person doing their routine or something. Like, you'd know, oh, well, in a few minutes, Gustav is going to talk to the butler, Mr. Swan, I think his name was, in this room. So I kind of know how that goes. Um, Gustav's going to get you know, say this thing, and Swan's going to say this thing. Okay, whatever. Uh, now we'll go follow. I've seen the Gustav side. I'm going to go do the Swan side. And I would think, like, oh, you know, he's just going to be cleaning the house or something. And he did, he did, but then he would also be doing something else. Like, like the, the cool thing about this game is, like, every single time you followed somebody else, there was definitely a few moments of where they were doing nothing. But, like, there, like, there was, like, a, a little secret that you never thought was coming. Like, literally every time. And it happened over and over and over. And you would think you would start to get used to it. But I never got used to it. And I never, I never stopped being surprised by the things that the characters would do. Like, they would do something. They would say something. They would behave in a different way once they thought that no one was watching them. And, like, there was just so many little treats that every time I started watching somebody and thinking, okay, I'm wasting my time. There's nothing really going on here. I'm going to go back to Gustav or whatever. They would do something and I'm like, oh, my God, they did this crazy thing. Holy <laughs> shit. I can't believe that that's happened. That's nuts. And then it would totally change my whole perspective on the characters. I mean, so did you find that to be true also? Were you also, like, constantly surprised? Um, I wouldn't say that I was constantly surprised because I actually, part of this um, is because I was playing it in VR. And this is going to make me sound like the fattest, laziest person on the planet. But I was standing up while playing it. And I was actually, like, there were a few times in the game where I was just, like, tired of standing and i was like all right let's move this along people like this is a little bit boring i mean it didn't happen often i'm not saying this game's like a snooze fest or anything but there were times where like i followed like the the butler around and he would just like sweep the floor and i was like okay is anything gonna happen here and i would like start fast forwarding it and then he like fucking sweeps the floor for like 10 minutes and i'm like okay like they maybe could have done something better with this time or um, something like that. I mean, I know it's a, I know it's tricky, and I know a lot of work went into it because they had to basically coordinate the entire game, that, like time the script perfectly for everybody, for everything to happen in real time. So obviously, there's going to be down moments, but so I wouldn't say I was like surprised all the time. But there's definitely like stuff where somebody walks away from the scene, and you're like, you you know, it kind of triggers in your head, like okay, the next time I play this, I need to go back and see where that person goes, and like usually they do something interesting or they like find a secret room or, you know, they have a discussion with somebody that maybe you wouldn't expect them to have a discussion with. Um, so, I mean, more often than not, they're doing something, but I was kind of like bored a little bit here and there in it, if I'm being completely honest. That's totally fair. And in fact, that was probably my biggest criticism of the game is that I wish that the fast forward and the rewind went faster. Faster, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like you said, so like what's going on in the house at all times is they're scripting where... Every single, like, so eight characters moving through the house. It's kind of like this really delicate choreographed dance where if you're going to have a scene with two people on the west side, then the other, then these other two people should be on the east side doing something different. And everybody kind of like comes together, then they kind of go apart and everybody's moving around the house in different ways. And so they had to very carefully choreograph the whole thing. That could not have been easy. Uh, but like you said, there are times when, you know, like, for example, the butler needs to be in this back room because these other people are meeting. He can't be around. So they got to do something with him. So they're going to have him sweep in the kitchen for 10 minutes. And if they had just sped up the fast forward and rewind, I think it would have solved all those problems because, it, you know, you, I mean, even fast forwarding, it, it's kind of slow, like getting through it. So I wish it went a little bit faster. Uh, but that was that's a very fair criticism. And that's really my only well, I have two criticisms and that's one of them. <laughs> do you think before we move on, we should like outline who all the characters are and kind of what they stand for because we've been like kind of getting into the, the the depths of it a little bit we haven't even talked about all the characters yet 
That is a great idea. I will say a few that I can remember, and then you say a few. Um, we start with Gustav Gustav, which is funny. Uh, I like that his name is that because it's goofy. He makes a couple jokes about it, and I like that they made a couple jokes about it. Uh, I really liked his voice for some reason. Like, I found him to be a very likable guy. I don't know why, uh, but I just was like, oh, he's such a cool main character. Like, he seems kind of, I, I, I don't know, like, just very affable and very neat. Like, I liked him as a main character. So he's a swedish or scandinavian or dutch or i don't know what he is he's from that random part of the world where all those really nice white people come from and i don't know what that part of the world is called i know i get i i get dinged on this every time and i can never keep it straight and i'm sorry this is my my, 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 my main weakness of the soviet games podcast <laughs> is we end up talking about that part of the world more more often than i ever do in my real life for some reason and i can never get it right but he's from there there's mr swan who is a uh, black guy from africa i believe he's from zanzibar zanzibar okay and he was kind of like a slave at one point and then he became kind of an indentured servant and he is also blind and he works for mr tesla is he blind or is he or is he anytime first of all not to jump in but like every time any this goes for any any movie any game any Oh, you agreed, know, agreed, TV show. Agreed. If somebody is yes. introduced as blind, my first thought is always, they're not really blind. It's going to be a reveal later that they're not blind. So I immediately thought about thought about that in this game. I was like, oh, they're introducing this blind character. And not only do they introduce him as blind, it's like a central part of his story, like from the get-go. And I'm like, all right, they're building this up an awful lot. So I'm pretty sure he's not blind and it's going to be like a spoiler later, but yeah. Totally. And not only is he blind, he's got kind of like a cerebral palsy, sort of a limp sort of a thing going on. <laughs> and so he's crippled and he's blind or he's disabled or something, which I'm like, okay, this is too much. Like, why would anybody have a, <laughs> why would anybody have a Butler that is like physically disabled? Plus he's blind. I mean, come on, dude. Anyway. So yeah, it, it does come up. Uh, there is Flora who is, uh, Tesla's former assistant, she has been fired and you don't quite know why she's been fired, but she was ejected from the house and she was upset when you first meet her because she's been fired. And then now that Tesla's dead, she's back in the house and she wants to help Gustav solve the thing. We have Thomas Edison, the actual Thomas Edison, who is the, you know, inventor from history, invented, uh, many numerous things. The, uh, I don't know what was that, what's that? It's not a phonograph. Is that what it's called? The phonograph. Yeah. Is that wrong? He invented phonograph. the phonograph and the light bulb, I believe. Light bulb, the like the the modern light bulb or whatever. So he, you know, Thomas Edison. Uh, who am I missing? There is a. I have him listed, but I'm just gonna let you go if you want to keep going. I'll keep going. There is a, <laughs> a a boy who is like a son of an of a magnate. So he's like a rich rich man's son and he seems really sad and he's there i don't know what his, his name, name is, is his name augustus vanderberg is he a real person or is he fictional do you know i googled him and i found like a listing for like a graveyard but i couldn't find like a wikipedia page or anything so i don't think he's real but he's probably like loosely based on some kind of like oil tycoon or something from you yeah know, like the early 1900s okay and then we have an actress and her name is I want to say it's Sarah Bernhardt. Is uh, that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And she is a real person. Okay. So she's a French actress. Uh, fam- like they, they bill her as the most famous actress in the world at that point. So she is there um, for whatever reason. And there is also a criminal. And I don't know what his name is. His name is Victor Mundy. Victor Mundy. Uh, yeah. He just seems like a real kind of a... Um, uh, like a cockney sort of an english like lower class 
lower class criminal dude, real rough and tough, threatens everybody, seems really, you know, like a real offensive, aggressive kind of guy. Um, and I, th I think, think that's, that's it. it. That's it. Okay, so those are your cast of characters. And everybody's got their own story. Everybody has connections. Everybody has an agenda. And it's up to you to kind of figure out what's going on. So how do you want to how do you want to approach this? Where should we go from here, Corey? Well, um, just to like sum up the characters a little bit, it's kind of interesting because they, like we've said, the game starts with Gustav. So he's sort like he's kind of like the first leading main character. He meets Flora on his way up to the manor and she's like crying. So she immediately is sort of like the damsel in distress. And Gustav is concerned about her and worried about her. So she kind of becomes like his investigative partner in the house. But you also don't like Gustav like says he can trust her. But we're like, OK, well, can we? And then Thomas Edison is there. And like Thomas Edison, of course, is the perfect like foil to Tesla because they, um, you know, allegedly had um, sort of like gone head to head in their inventions in back in their day. So, of course, the game wants to like pen like, OK, well, maybe Edison did it because they are, um, you know, they're kind of rivals in their fields, if you will. Totally. totally. Um, and then Augustus, I mean, he doesn't really play like a huge part at first. Like maybe I don't know. He didn't really seem like a suspect to me at the beginning. Um, the game kind of wants everybody to pin the murder on Victor Mundy uh, because he very much presents himself as an ex-con and kind of like a lower class dude. So it's easy to be like, oh, well, of course he did it because like he kind of presents himself as a criminal. And then Sarah Bernhardt is like, you know, she's sort of like the chameleon. She's sort of like the the sexy lady in the house. Like she kind of like. I don't know. I, I liked her performance, but I also just like kind of was annoyed that her character kind of just fell back on being like, like the she kind of like led all the guys on in the house. It was kind of like testing like waters with the dangers of them. And she kept saying like to all the guys over and over again, like, oh, well, like, are you the most dangerous man in the house? And because if so, like, I want to be partnered with you or something. And so I don't know. I felt like she definitely had more going on under the surface, which we'll talk about. But for her character, I was just kind of like, wow, she's just kind of there to, like, flirt with all the dudes, and then, like, that's it. Um, and then, of course, Swan is, because he's the uh, assistant to edit, or to Tesla, you might think, okay, well, he's the butler. Maybe he did it because he was there, and he knew what was going on, and maybe, like, um, uh, Tesla had been mistreating him in some way because he was his indigenous servant, so... I mean, the game does a good job from the get-go of sort of, like, presenting this good cast and being, and really, like, not knowing who did it. And I was pretty impressed with, like, my ability to not guess who did it. Like, it's never obvious. Although I do, uh, like, we can go back and forth on this for a second. Um, but there is a point in the game where I thought I knew who did it because I thought he admitted to doing it in the middle of the game. And then for the rest of the game, I was like, oh, obviously that person did it because he just said he did it. And then he, like, didn't do it. And I was very, like, kind of mad about it because I thought the game, like, came out and said that he did it. And then, like, he didn't do it. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I don't think so. Oh, you don't. Okay, well, there's a point, I think, in Chapter 2 or 3. I think it's a Chapter 2 where... Um, the, the butler, uh, Mr. Swan goes up to Tesla's office and he unlocks the secret safe that's behind a portrait and he finds, uh, Tesla's last will and testament. And he is expecting Tesla to like leave him basically everything because he, he's this poor indentured servant from Zanzibar and Tesla doesn't leave him anything. And so he gets mad and he like th takes a portion of Tesla and like throws it in the fire. And he literally says out loud something like, if I had known you weren't going to leave me anything, I would have done more. I would have done worse than just murder you. 
And so at that point, I was like, oh, he just admitted to murdering him. And so like the rest of the game, I was oh, like, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought I get, yeah, it yeah. was an admission. So I was like writing out the rest of the game, like waiting for Gustav or somebody to figure out that Swan did it. And it turns out that Swan didn't do it. So like, I, I wish that they had changed that line of dialogue because I literally thought that he admitted to it in privacy in that moment in a frustrated, like heated sense. And maybe they left the line in because like, it, it was a big red herring, like, leading you to believe one di one direction, and it didn't go that direction. But, like, I totally thought it was solved at that point. I was like, oh, he just said that he murdered him. Like, okay, case closed. Now let's just see how the rest of this plays out. And so, like, I was, like, kind of mad about that because I thought that they, like— said it. I mean, I didn't want them to come out and say it in the middle of the game, and they really didn't. But, like, it seemed so cemented that I was like, oh, he did it. Okay, I guess we'll just see what happens from here on out. But then it turns out that he really didn't do it. Now that you say that, I do remember I do remember that scene, but I took it more of him just being kind of like... Um just kind of a figure of speech. I didn't take it as an admission. I kind of I kind of thought it was like, oh, you know, you got off easy being murdered because if I had known what dirt you were going to do to me, I would have pulled your fingernails out and fed them to you or something <laughs> like that, you know? So I, I didn't think he did it, but was... So I guess... Uh, and that kind of ruins my next question, actually, because I was going to ask you <laughs> if there ever uh, came a point at which you felt like you were really definite. So clearly you thought it was Swan for a while, and I could, I could easily see why you thought that. I mean, I think that there's definitely a case to be made that it was kind of a potential red herring there. I mean, as for me, I, I did... Okay, so I'm terrible at, at murder mysteries. My wife is great at them. She knows within the first five minutes who did it, and she's always right. <laughs> uh, and I say that she should go write scripts in Hollywood because clearly she's got a knack for it. I never can figure out who does anything. I am always the last person to know who is guilty because uh, my brain just doesn't work that way. Uh, but I didn't know who it was for a really long time. And then by, by the halfway point of the game, I'm like, you know... Is Tesla even really fucking dead? Like, maybe he's just laying there. Mm, I thought about Saw? that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the first Saw movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, spoilers for the first Saw movie, which is probably, like, 20 years old by now. <laughs> uh, the, the killer is actually the first dead body that people meet, and he's just laying on the floor. And he pretends to be dead, but he's not dead. And so, by, by laying on the floor, he's listening to their conversation the whole time. And they never really check to make sure that he's actually dead or whatever. Uh, so he's been amongst them all along and I'm like, Oh dude, are they pulling a saw? Like, is Tesla going to get up at some point? Cause like, <laughs> I know that Gustav kind of checked for a pulse or whatever, but you can fake that. Maybe he took some sleeping medication or something. He took that famous potion where it slows your heartbeat down to basically nothing. But or then maybe, you wake up and you're fine. maybe Gustav was in on his killing and was covering could've for been. him. I mean, that could have been it too. Could have been. And you know, also, so, okay. So to set this up a little bit more. Nikola Tesla is a very famous figure from history, actual figure from history, genius. He invented so many things and he's a real fascinating figure for a lot of people because a lot of his inventions were never shared or discovered. Um, apparently the way that I hear it, um, he was a real innovator with electricity and a lot of other things like that, but he also was working with like wireless technologies or being able to transmit energy across long distances without wires he apparently also had created a number of weapons which were too deadly to be used. And so those got locked away and never used and never built. Um, so he's a real kind of mysterious figure in real life. Like this is all true stuff. And there's a lot of questions about what he was able to accomplish. I mean, apparently this guy was like light years ahead of everybody else uh, on the scientific scene at that time. So I can understand why uh, they chose him as, an, as a figure for this game. But knowing that about Tesla and also I've seen a number of movies where 
Tesla is a figure and he's always got some kind of like real fancy sci-fi thing going on, which usually comes out to be the case. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on, but I'm like, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me at all if nobody killed him. Like I thought he was either going to be alive or something, something sci-fi was going to happen. This is kind of what I was betting on. I didn't know exactly what, but that was where my money was going to lay. And I think that was a pretty good guess, uh, seeing as how it all turned out at the end. But before we get to that, I really want to take a moment and just talk about the characters, like maybe a couple moments that you really liked a lot or maybe something that stood out to you. I mean, for example, I really liked Swan as a character. I thought that he was really well portrayed. I thought his voice actor was great. And his whole character arc about being a former slave and then being an indentured servant and feeling trapped and not having the freedom that other people had. And on top of that, him being a father and being separated from his son, that was all really impactful to me. Like it really hit home with me and I really felt for him. And I thought that uh, the scripting was great. It really gave him some good depth and that uh, just him being who he was in the game really made a lot of sense. And I really, uh, I, I liked him a lot. He was probably one of my favorite characters. Um, who did you like Swan or, or who was a standout for you? Anything that you liked in particular? Um, I think that Flora was kind of the standout for me because like whenever you meet her, you immediately know that like she and Tesla have been kind of like feuding over something because obviously she disclosed that she had worked with him. Um, she had been his assistant, but then he had kicked her out. So she kind of presents herself as a damsel in distress. But like shortly after getting into the house, um, you kind of come to understand that she's actually a capable entity in the house. She's not just some like throwaway girl, you know, that's like helpless that can't do anything. And Gustav actually like arms her with a gun and is like, Hey, take this. I need you to go look around the house for me. Like, I think I can trust you. We've got to be in this together. And as the story unfolds, um, you, you know, you come to learn that she has a lot of agency here. And I, I kept wondering like, what, like, what is, what really happened between her and Tesla? Because you obviously, I mean, your mind immediately goes to, okay, were they lovers? Did they have an affair? Like, did she, you know, was she married and had an affair with Tesla or something like that? So like you, you kind of, I was always wondering like, what really happened? Like, was she more than just an assistant? Did he like do weird experiments on her and then kick her out? Like there's, I don't know, it could go like a million different ways. And just the fact that she didn't end up being such like a throwaway character um, really surprised me. But I think my... My favorite singular character moment was um, was from Sarah Bernhardt, and I know you're going to know what I'm about to say here. Um, oh God, yeah, there, that was <laughs> there is a took moment, my breath away, dude. Yeah, it took yeah, mine too. There's a moment where um, kind of like Oliver Swan sweeping the floor. She doesn't really have anything to do, so she leaves the crowd. She goes up to her room because everybody has their own quarters in this mansion. She goes up to her room and she has like a cool bed and like a vanity and like she's reading a book on like a lounge next to it. Her vanity has like perfume and like makeup brushes and stuff because obviously she's an actress. She's probably heavily made up. So she sits down at her desk or at the vanity and starts like doing her makeup and kind of touching herself up. And in the middle of doing her makeup, she takes off her mother fucking, fucking nose. nose her whole nose she just pulls it off of her face and she's like in the middle of doing her makeup and then she like has some kind of like glue or something or like adhesive in her makeup bag and she starts like painting it on the nose and then like reattaches it to her face and it's not she's not talking to anybody she's not doing a monologue like she's just doing this stuff and let me tell you, watching this in VR, because I'm like, it, the cool thing about playing this in VR is that you feel like you're standing there right next to the person. And 
I'm literally like have the like the teleport cursor. Like I put it like as close as I can to her because I don't know what she's gonna do. And so I like I'm standing as close as I can, and I'm like bending over like a fucking idiot in my uh, in my computer room, like trying to like look at her and see what she's doing and see if she's gonna do anything special. And then she pulls her fucking nose off, and it's like right there in my face, and I'm like watching her like glue her nose back on her face and I that moment was really breathtaking like it was so unexpected and oh my god like unfortunately I I mean she was probably one of my least favorite characters in the house because I feel like she was just kind of like the sexy lady and didn't really amount to a whole lot more and and I didn't like every time I followed her around I was just kind of like uh like she's just doing like kind of like by the books like uh, like femme fatale kind of stuff but that that moment in her quarters when she pulls her nose off, I was like, oh, my fucking God, what is going on here? And that was sort of like a real, like, breathtaking creative highlight for me <laughs> in the game because it was so unexpected. But, I mean, it kind of made sense a little bit more once you learn more about her character later on. But, man, in the moment, it was freaking bananas. Yeah, I that was like a real holy shit with three exclamation points after it. Like, what is it? What is it going on? What just holy what? And I just it that freaked me out like pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, I that would have been really distressing. And I thankfully I was in flat mode, so I wasn't like anywhere near close to looking in her nose hole or anything like that, because that would have been just too fucking much. Uh, that was uh, bananas, bananas, bananas. Um, one moment that I really liked a lot was with uh, Mundy who is kind of like, uh, you know, like we said, like the Cockney, you know, street street urchin grown-up sort of English criminal sort of a dude. But uh, interestingly, he has a really good moment with uh, Sarah, the actress with her fake nose in the upstairs hallway, where Mundy kind of like has this strange relationship to God where he's kind of looking for redemption and he's kind of looking for direction and he's just looking for signs because, he you know, he just doesn't know what to do. And... Um, and I guess we we should really kind of underline, I think we kind of glossed over this a little bit, so apologies to everybody, but, like, I think, like, the thing that we really need to underline is, like, the premise of Tesla inviting all of these people here is that he says he will let them undo their greatest mistake. And so that's a pretty big thing to say to somebody. So, number one, it implies that Tesla has some kind of a weird power or he's got a gift or he's got some kind of thing that he's going to be giving to people or some kind of second chance it also implies that each one of the people in the house has a giant mistake or a failure or something they're embarrassed about or scared about and so part of it is like you're thinking about what is the what are these people scared about what is in their past that that is so important that they would come all this way across the world on a steamship or on a plane or whatever to come to tesla's tiny little island why would they come all this way and so monday uh is a killer and he's out of prison and he is, is there. And so you're, he's, he's like asking God for signs throughout the whole game, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, but when he gets up to the hallway and he sees, uh, Sarah, the actress, they have this moment where I don't remember who starts it, but one of them starts quoting Shakespeare and then he is able to like recite the whole scene. And so it kind of gives him this unexpected layer of, you think I'm just a criminal. I'm like, I don't know anything about anything. I'm just a ruffian, but I actually know this entire play about Shakespeare and I can recite it. And I, you know, they, they have this moment where they just kind of connect in this really unexpected and, um, and surprising way. And it gives him such a nice layer. Uh, and it also gives her a nice layer too, because she kind of like registers her surprise. Uh, there's a couple reasons behind that, but 
just that moment to me, I think was like one of the best moments in the game where money kind of all of a sudden is more than you, what you thought he was and more than he had appeared to be. So I really liked that one a lot. That was a good moment for me as well. Um, are there any other, any other standout moments before we start getting into more spoilerific stuff? Uh, whenever Edison gets poisoned, how could you not bring that up, Brad? What was your favorite part about that? What was what was what did you like about that? Because it was so surprising. He like goes because I didn't. It, well, okay. So one of the weird things about the game too that maybe we should say is that, and this happened to me a few times, and it was a little bit frustrating. Is that depending on who you follow first, you can kind of get like pre-spoiled on things that were going to happen. And there's a segment in the game where Augustus, the young rich kid, he's like planning to kill himself in the house, and he's been drinking whiskey upstairs in a bedroom, and he poisons the whiskey, and he's planning to just drink the rest of the bottle and then um, and basically kill himself like right then and there. And he gets kind of saved, if you will, by Mr. Swan. And, you know, he kind of tells him, don't drink that. You know, why would you kill yourself? You know, kind of get a hold of yourself. Um, you should be proud of who you are and all that kind of stuff. Edison not seeing any of this go down and I I followed Edison first so I didn't see the Augustus part first goes into the room and just sees the bottle of whiskey and he's like oh well, of course I'll treat myself to this whiskey he fucking drinks the whiskey with the poison in it and then like starts like gagging and I thought he was gonna die and I was like oh dang that's what kind of game this is they're gonna like kill one person per chapter until there's like two left and it's gonna you know you're gonna have to figure out who who it is you know based on like the last year and like fight it out or something but then Sarah Bernhardt ends up coming in and she basically like gags him until he throws the poison up and it was just like because I hadn't seen Augustus poison the whiskey first I was really surprised because um, I was like, oh, yeah, he's just going to have some whiskey. Like, whatever. Who cares? Of course he would. He's fucking Thomas Edison. And then he, like, gets poisoned and starts dying. So you think that, like, the killer is among them and that they're, like, trying to kill everyone else in the house. So that was kind of, like, a pretty fascinating moment for me that I enjoyed. Um, I kind of wish that it would have gone down the route of, like, the killer being among them. But I guess if – and, you know, and murdering everybody else. But I guess if it had done that, you would have, like, known who the killer was the whole time. Or maybe, like – like everybody everybody being a killer or something you know like that where you know nobody's really innocent but uh the edison poisoning moment was pretty big for me i had okay so i understand how why that happened for you because i went the other way i saw um vanderberg drink that or you know try to drink it swan intervened so i knew all that stuff happened beforehand so when thomas edison drank it it was like less it was not surprising to me um, although I will say Thomas Edison's a fucking dick. He's a like, dick. What a dick. Yeah, he's a jerk. Oh my God. He's a terrible <laughs> guy. Uh, super, super dick. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I mean, I, re- I liked everybody. I thought Vanderberg didn't have enough to do. Um, I know that you feel like maybe Sarah, the actress, was the weak link. For me, Vanderberg was kind of the weak link. He's got a story where he's actually gay and he's, you know, he's got issues with that. Apparently his dad either knows and doesn't like him or just doesn't like him in general. I mean, who knows? But I felt like he was kind of underused, and he ends up getting killed, so I guess, you know, he had to be kind of a semi-throwaway character, I suppose. I mean, not like, not like, uh, he was totally throwaway, but I, I just didn't get a lot from Vanderberg. I mean, what was your feeling on him? Uh, I mean, he kind of has, like, a woe-is-me story where he's just like, oh, I'm a rich kid, but my brother died, and I'm the weak link in the family, and my dad hates me, and I want to win back his approval. So, like, I mean, it kind of, I think I'm, like, I'm a little too old to be connecting with that story um, because I very much am of the mindset, of the selfish mindset, where I'm like, oh, well, if you have a lot of money, then, like, fuck your problems. Like, you know, you can basically, (laughs) like, buy anything you want, so, like, what are you fucking whining about? Um... But I did, I mean, I kind of, you know, felt sorry for him a little bit, but I, I didn't really, like, peg him as the killer. Like, he just kind of seemed like a little bit of, like, a fodder character. Um, 
but he was all right. But I was sh- kind of shocked whenever he died. And oh my God, this is another like pre-spoiler, spoiler thing. Whenever, so spoiler alert, he dies later. Uh, Thomas Edison actually kills him. Um, there's like a secret lab in the basement. Thomas Edison stabs Augustus to death. And I'm such an idiot because I was following Flora in that moment. And she like starts going down to the basement and then she stops at the top of the stairs. And I was like, okay, obviously something has to be going on down there. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I like walk with her down there and like, I see Augustus is dead or I think I walked down like as Edison was stabbing him or something. And like, I wish that I had been following Edison instead in that point, because like I wanted to see the scene play out. So I was like, Oh, awesome. Augustus is dead. Now I have to like rewind and figure out what happened. And like, I don't really, you know, there's not really a good way to work around that in the game for them to be like, Oh, by the way, something big is about to happen. So maybe rewind and follow someone else. Like I wouldn't expect them to do that, but um, but I was just kind of disappointed that I followed sort of the path that I didn't want to follow first. I wish I had been following Edison um, to see that play out. So, like, I saw her reaction to it. And then I was like, okay, crap. Like, I guess I'll rewind and see what happened with them first. And then I'll, like, come back to her reaction for it. Um, so I kind of wished I had, like, done that the other way around. But, I mean, there's really no way to know. You just kind of have to jump into the deep end on this game. Yeah, it's really impossible to know. And I, I think I had the exact same path because I was following everybody from left to right in the way that they are in the way that they are displayed in the menu. So I was doing, I was always doing Gustav first, Flora second, like Vanderberg third, Edison fourth, you know, what, what, whatever, whatever order they're in, I was following that same order. So I, so that, if you follow that order, it'll be, it'll be exactly like you said, like you follow Flora down to the basement, she'll pause. And that's when I'm like, Oh shit, something's going down. I run ahead of the basement and I see, I rewind a little bit and I see Edison stab uh, Vanderberg. I'm like, oh my God, what a dick. I knew he was a dick. He's like super dick. <laughs> and then, uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting how those things play out though, because you never know what's going to happen. Like you genuinely never know what's going to happen. Like there's all, like, a lot of crazy shit goes down. Um, so let's jump ahead. I, I want to talk about a little bit how you feel like it wrapped up. Like what do you, I mean, unless there's something else you want to cover first. Is there anything you'd like to talk about before we kind of get to the end game? Um, I don't think so. We can jump into ending stuff. All right. So there's a couple things. There's a couple things. So I, I want to say just before we talk about it, there's like a fake ending and then like a hardcore, I don't even know if you even want to call it like the quote unquote real ending um, <laughs> to this game. The fake ending I thought was fucking brilliant. I loved it so much. It was perfect. It ended on just the right note. I loved everything about it. It was smart. It was clever. It fit with the theme, it fit with the story. It fit with everything that come up. I mean, it was like, oh, I was like, yes, nailed it. Fucking nailed it. Whoever wrote this, Rob Yescom, good job. You fucking brought this thing home. Good job. And then you got I to was, the real ending. And then I got to the real ending. I'm like, ah, what the fuck? What? what? I was like, why did you do that? Rob Yescom, why did you do that? That was no good. That was trash. I was like, I wish I hadn't seen that. Because that, kind of, I mean, I to be perfectly honest with you, it kind of took away from my appreciation of the game a little bit, oh, which no. is... Which is kind of harsh because it ended on such a good note with the fake ending. I was like, "Home run!" He fucking pointed to the stands and he hit that ball and it went over the it went over the stadium and he fucking knocked, yes did it. Babe Ruth of writing did and then he's like, "Ah, oh, no, he fucked that up. That was that was bad." Oh my before God. we get there though, before we get there though, a couple of really interesting things. Um, I'll save one for the end, but one thing that Rob told me about. So just a disclaimer: Rob had uh, found me on Twitter when I was. Uh, talking about the game. I was praising the game. He found me on Twitter and we kind of talked a little bit via DM. So he, he kind of gave me some inside info. Um, did you ever manage to listen to Gustav's phone call when he's calling the police in the first chapter? Um, I, 
I feel like I did, but that was like two weeks ago, so I already forgot what he said if I listened to it. So in the first chapter, when they find Tesla's body, he runs to the back room where there's a phone and he calls the police. He's like, police, send out a boat to the island. We need you right away. Hurry up and get here ASAP. Boom, go. And I didn't do this at first, but Rob told me, he's like, he's like, like, get closer. Like, listen, like, stick your head as close as you can to the phone and listen to the phone call. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And if you go back and listen to it, it's just like a dial tone. Like, there's nothing there. Like, and so if you happen to be listening at that moment and you're close enough to Gustav, you will know from the beginning that he actually never called the cops, which really kind of puts a different spin on the whole thing. So I thought that was a really cool Easter egg, which is available in both VR and flat mode. Like you can get close enough in flat to hear it. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Did you, do you remember that moment? Did you stumble across that yourself? I don't remember hearing the dial tone, but I, I have like vague recollections of him calling the police. So that was pretty funny. I thought because he actually makes a joke about his own name and it's like, he's doing it in a reaction to the police officer thinking he has a weird name, but now when you listen to it, there was actually no one on the lines who was making fun of his own name, which I thought made the joke even like twice as funny as it was. Um, so anyway, as the game rolls on, uh, one of the first things that's revealed is that Tesla had a underground safe, which is locked with various locks. And Flora really wants to get in that safe like super bad. And some people will care about it. Some people don't. But it, it ends up being really, really important. Because eventually, once you finally get the safe open and the story advances, uh, I mean, I guess we should just come right out and say it. Uh, Tesla has invented a time travel machine, which is, I guess, what he was going to be promising to these people as a way of fixing their greatest mistakes. And I remember Flora was not included in this. Flora was ejected from the house. She was fired. So she is not the person that he intended to extend uh, that courtesy to. So he wanted to uh, let these other people fix their mistakes. Um, so what ends up happening is that once Flora goes in there, it's it's revealed through, you know, you find letters and just by conversations and stuff. Her husband is killed in, I guess, World War One, and she realizes what Tesla is doing, and she wants to use the machine to go back in time to save her husband. And Tesla says, no, you can't because your husband died saving 10 other guys. So if you save your husband, those 10 other guys are going to die, and there's going to be 10 other widows in the world, and who knows how many kids... And though, like, like your your punishment is going to be passed on to those other people, and he just decides that's not a thing that can happen because it's too much of of passing the buck on other people. So she eventually goes like after Tesla's dead, she gets inside the she gets inside the the time travel machine. She she thinks she knows how to do it, but she doesn't quite know how it works. So what she ends up doing is time traveling back to the beginning of the game. She goes up to the front door to talk to Tesla because he is now still alive. Um, you have the player is transported to a fourth chapter where Tesla is still alive. You see her conversation. She's like, fuck you. I want to use the machine. <laughs> Tesla's like, no way. I wish she actually said, fuck you. I mean, that would be great. You know, she's like, fuck you, Tesla. I'm going to use the machine. She, he's like, hell no, you cannot. She kills him because she's gone through this, you know, she's gone through the whole thing. And she, it's kind of like this time travel loop where she wants the machine. She can't use the machine. She kills him. And then she realizes she's the one that killed him. And that's, you know, like she's never going to get back to find her husband and, and solve it. But that explains the murder and why no one at the house really seemed like the murderers because no one was the murderer. It was Flora from the future. So when you meet Flora, she hasn't killed him by that point. She is legit not the murderer yet. And so no one was the murderer. And I thought that was like so fucking cool. And what a cool reveal and what a cool way of tying that up. I thought that was fucking brilliant. It totally went with the whole Tesla theme. 
It went with a theme of like exploring the house and not having a person be the standout obvious villain. I just, I thought it was so cool that no one ended up being the murderer, like technically, sort of. I mean, what did you think of that final reveal, Corey? Well, I thought that that reveal was pretty great, but I also was really hung up in a good way on what happens to everybody else in the house. So like before you get to, because basically you complete all four chapters and then once you see Flora's uh, journey through the time machine, it unlocks what it calls chapter zero. So it unlocks like a fifth chapter. And that's just the short one where she goes in and she basically kills Edison at the front door Um, or not Edison, uh, Tesla at the front door. And, but at the end of chapter four, when everything else is wrapping up, there is, like, some fucking crazy shit that happens. And it's all, like, shit that, like, is depressing and, like, that I love, that I, like, feed on at the end of stories. So, like, I was following Gustav, and you're, like, led to believe that because uh, uh, because Edison murdered Vanderberg, that maybe he murdered Tesla, too, because they're, like, kind of in, like, a patent war over, um, you know, inventions and stuff. And they kind of make it a point in the game to talk about how Edison basically like stole a bunch of people's inventions and then just made them for himself and like took all the fame and glory. So there's like a point where Gustav um, like takes Edison out to like the edge of the cliff on the island and it's like storming and it's raining and he's like holding Edison at gunpoint and you know they're like yelling at each other on the on the edge of this cliff and I was like oh man oh this is it like this is the business right here and so I'm like waiting for for uh, Gustav to like shoot um, Edison and like get it all over with and then like out of no out of nowhere out of nowhere fucking Mr. Swan the blind or maybe not blind uh, butler like comes charging toward them on the cliff and pushes Gustav off the edge of the cliff and he falls and he dies. And I was like so shocked in that moment because there's like so many things to be shocked about because Gustav is like the person I was rooting for for the entire game because like he's the first character you're introduced to. He's the one that's trying to solve the mystery. And like you said, he's a really likable character and he's really like kind of introspective and down to earth and just kind of wants to get to, you know, the meat of what's going on. You finally think he's going to solve it. And then he gets murdered, which is like bananas again. And then the other thing is fucking Edison lived, which like pissed me off so much because Edison (laughs) is such a fucking dick for the entire game. And I'm like, yeah, Gustav, he's going to kill him. He's going to like arrest him or something. It's going to be over with. And then he dies and then Edison gets to live. And I was so mad because it's like, it's kind of like the good guy gets killed and like the kind of bad guy gets away. So like on one hand I was like oh this sucks so bad but on the other hand I I'm such a sucker for like things going like tits up in the eleventh hour in a story and so I was also like really satisfied because um it was like kind of a depressing like noir esque ending for the whole thing like on their front and I don't know it just like really kind of like left me like broken hearted but also with a smile on my face at the same time it was very satisfying. Yeah, I thought that moment was brilliant because by that point I had not followed Mr. Swan. So he, he for me, also came out of nowhere. And when he chucked Gustav off the edge, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? What? I was like, no way. There's no way. And I was like, I was trying to move the camera to like, look, I was waiting to see him like grabbing onto the edge of the cliff by his fingertips or something. Yeah, no, he's fucking dead. And I'm like, oh my God. What? Edison, fuck you, Edison. God, you're such a... (laughs) Totally. I was like, I'm right with you. But it was good because it was not what you expected narratively. It was kind of a brave choice to make. I mean, I think there's a lot of really brave choices being made in this game where it's not turning out the way that you think traditionally they should turn out. Uh, I mean, that shit was crazy. But I also think it was really justified because if you go back and watch all of Swan's story and what his motivations are, I mean, it totally makes sense to me that he would do what he did 
I mean, it, it was wrong. He did, he did not have the right conclusion, but his motivation for doing it, I think, made perfect sense, and it was believable, despite the fact that it was fucked up and I didn't want Gustav to die, but <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that was a crazy moment. I mean, and the thing with um, Bernhardt and uh, Mundy was also really crazy. This was this was probably the only thing I figured out about the game ahead of time. Did you did you know what the deal was between these two beforehand, or did you figure it out at the end? I did not know. Okay, I figured this was the only thing I figured out way ahead of time because I had read a certain number of documents that were scattered around the house and then I remembered what Mundy had said when he was giving his speech the first time that he appears and then when she took her nose off, I'm like, oh shit, that's what's going down. So it was pretty crazy to me that Bernhardt ends up being Mundy's daughter and they were separated all these years that perfectly explains why they both knew the same Shakespeare, um, you know, piece that they had recited to each other because they had probably done it as father and daughter. But it was misconstrued in the hallway for him as being, oh, she's a perfect match for me. And she probably at that point was like, oh, this guy is my dad. I mean, she probably knew that ahead of time, but it just really confirms like for her that he's the father. But he thinks, oh, she's my perfect wife or whatever. And he doesn't really know because she, he's been in prison and he hasn't seen her for so long. But they were like kissing earlier and like he's getting all these ideas that they're going to go off and have a life together. He does not realize it's his daughter, which is a totally like like old boy moment. You ever see oh, old boy in that movie? Yeah, yep. Totally the same thing. I'm like, oh, God, they're <laughs> playing an old boy here, which is really cool and gross and weird. Um, but he doesn't even really even realize it until like like the very end. And so like the way that that story comes about, I thought was quite interesting and quite good. Um, just really gross, but um, gory and you couldn't look away. And it's just... Interesting to see this guy proceed under the total wrong um, wrong assumptions and, and come to the end that he does. I mean, he eventually gets killed. One thing that I thought was fucking, like, dope-ass amazing, and I, Rob, I know you're listening. I want to give you, I wanna give you chef's, chef's fingers uh, for this, man, the <laughs> chef's kiss. Um, at the very beginning of the game, Gustav loses an umbrella, uh, and that umbrella blows away. And if you, you can actually follow that umbrella all the way as it gets blown around the island. It eventually ends up on the upper balcony. And that umbrella appears at the very end of the game because Sarah grabs the umbrella and stabs uh, Mundy with it. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the umbrella from Chapter 1. The umbrella, like, got blown away. It's, oh, it's up here. Oh, my God. Like, it totally... That was fantastic. I love that the umbrella got reused. That was brilliant. So, Rob, I know you're listening. That was great. I, I like, also, thumbs up, dude. Like, on the dumb topic of the umbrella, let me tell you, playing that in VR, standing in front of Gustav on the dock when he's trying to figure out the umbrella, when the umbrella blew out of his hands, I, like, had to duck out of the way in the room because it blew so forcefully toward me on the dock in VR that I was like, holy <laughs> shit, and I had to, like, dive out of the way in order, like, to not get hit by the fake umbrella that's coming at my face in the game. So that was, like... I pretty good just like silly moment of shock right at the beginning that was kind of unexpected and it's one of those little special touches of vr that like added some a little bit of like scary flair to the situation that that sounds amazing that sounds really amazing i i loved seeing the umbrella back and i actually did follow it for a while at the beginning of the game so i thought it was really cool that there was a payoff for that uh definitely check off umbrella happening there which is really cool um one other thing that rob tipped me off to which it which actually didn't quite make it to the game uh, which was kind of a shame, but so after you see uh, Flora kill Tesla, I'm like, well, where did she go? Because like future Flora is on the island and there's no boat or anything. I mean, what happened to her? And he's like, well, you know, there's one door in the whole house that you can't open, right? And I'm like, oh, that's right. There's one door in the main hallway underneath the staircase that's always locked. And no matter what you do, you can't open it. He's like, yeah, Flora's hiding in there. And what we meant to do 
was record her doing a sneeze. So if you stood by the door long enough, you would eventually hear her sneeze, which would mean there was someone inside the door hiding in that closet. And I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. But he's like, yeah, we didn't actually do it. So I was like, oh, would have been amazing. Wasn't amazing. But that was a cool idea. So there is actually a narrative um, explanation as to where future Flora goes because she's hiding in that closet that can never be opened. Unfortunately, there is no clue beforehand. Like there's no giveaway that there's anybody in there or that there's anything to that door. But they did account for that. I don't know why they didn't manage to do that. It would have been really neat. But that's where she goes in case anybody's wondering what happened to future Flora, uh, which I thought was a cool little explanation. So um, we should probably wrap it up pretty quickly. I feel like my voice is going, uh, but I'm still doing okay for now. Let's talk about the secret ending, Corey. Uh, you want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, sure. So there's something that we haven't talked about in the game at all yet, and that's the fact that um, Tesla has invented this, like, kind of, like, machine that lets you talk to spirits in the game, and it's just, like, a little device that you hold in your hand that's got some cool, like, tubes coming out of the top of it, and... Augustus Vanderberg is pretty attached to it for most of the game. He carries it around a lot, probably because he wants to talk to his uh, his brother that passed away. And so, like, you're led to believe, like, okay, well, does it work? Does it not? What's really going on here? And there's a whole scene where they're kind of having, like, a seance around it where, like, Mundy and Flora and Bernhard are, like, it's almost like a Ouija board thing where they're, like, around it and they have their hands, you know, clasped and they're trying to, like, summon, you know, the ghost of Tesla or the ghost of, um, of Flora's dead husband. But what, and something that pisses me off about this is that I was like 99% close to figuring this out and then it didn't work for me. So something that happens in the game is if you like stick around close to the spirit radio thing during certain parts of the game, it will actually, a spirit will come and talk to you. And if you follow it, you have to do it like three times. There's like three instances in the game where the spirit will talk to you. And when I say talk to you, I mean talk to you, like Talk to the player. The player. The, yeah, Talk it's to the player, like fourth yeah. wall breaking. Like, it's not talking to Gustav. It's literally saying, hey, um, when somebody else dies, find me, and I'll give you more details or something. And so there's, like, three points in the game where people die or something happens. You have to, like, rewind to those chapters, go back to it every time, and then whenever you figure it out, um, the radio says something like, like you need to go go back to the theater and find, and I will unlock a door for you and I want to talk to you there or something like that. So this is like super, super duper fourth wall breaking. Like it basically the the guy in the radio is telling you to go back to the main menu of the game, which is in the, the theater lobby that we talked about at the very beginning of this discussion, like the lavish theater lobby, the theater box. You can actually walk out of the theater box and walk around in the lobby and there's like stuff from the game on display, kind of like his little trinkets and Easter eggs. There's a door that unlocks whenever you uh, unlock this little Easter egg kind of bit, you walk in the door and then, Brad, do you want to do the honors to talk about the very end? Yes, I do, <laughs> sort of. But I gotta—I have to preface this a little bit. Before we talk about what's inside the door, let me back this up a little bit. Because, so number one, this is the part that really disappoints me. Rob, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I know you're listening. I apologize. But I have to be really honest. I really hated this entire thing. Uh, and I think it took away from the game in general. Because it was such a perfect package. It was so well done. It was so flawlessly... Swiss watch put together. I love it, love it, love it. And this part just feels like extra crap that doesn't need to be there. And it really, it it really did not work for me in any way. Because, <laughs> so one thing that happens um, when you start the game, like we said, like you get this ticket and you put the ticket in the machine and you go to your seat. I don't know what it is like for you, but for me playing the flat version, when I put in the ticket, I warp to the box. Like I don't walk through the hallway that is behind the seat of the theater. Did you know that that area was there or did you not know? I 
I didn't know I because it it warps in VR too, so you don't actually walk through. Not that okay, I so recall. you get warped. Okay. Yeah, I think I had discovered it like the time before when I played it, but I didn't discover it in the moment when the guy told me to go there. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, and maybe this is maybe this is not a big a deal in flat in VR as it is in flat. But like, so what happens is. I wasn't aware that there was anything other to that menu than besides what I saw because you warp through it. Like, it would have made more sense to have the player walk through that area every single time you start the game because then they would know that it's there. I literally had no idea that area was there. So also, when you're playing flat and you look at the menu, I assume that when you have a VR helmet on, because you are a human being in real space, your body will move, your head will tilt. I mean, you're not standing like a statue, so I'm guessing that you would probably catch glimpses of things being outside of the menu, like in your peripheral vision. But when you are playing flat, the screen does not move unless you move the camera and you don't really have a reason to move the camera because it looks like you're looking at a menu. So there's actually stuff below the screen that I had no idea was there for the entire game. There's like a bunch of clues that you can review. There's like um, stuff that you find in the house. Like, like if, you, if you tilt down from the the theater box right before you start the game there's actually a bunch of stuff down there i had no idea that stuff was there i did not see it it never pops up i never moved the camera that way because i had no reason to no idea it was there so like for there to be like this whole other space that i like like me as the player was supposed to be engaging with that was a total fail because i didn't even know it even existed so when it got to that point in the game and it wanted to break the fourth wall, I'm like, why are you doing this? This makes no sense at all. <laughs> I have not been primed to do that. And, I, and even I wish I could have known that that stuff was there before because I would have reviewed some of those clues earlier in the game because I couldn't figure out how to reread documents I had already read. I couldn't figure out how to look at stuff I had found. It's in the menu, but you don't see it unless you turn that camera down, which I'm guessing you probably saw right away. I literally got through the entire game and didn't know it was there. Did that happen to you, or what was that like for you? Um, I had seen the stuff on the tables, but I didn't know that... I still didn't know that there was an area behind me that you could walk through. Like, I thought it was just the stuff on the table, and that was it. So, like, I was a little bit onto it, but not entirely onto it. Okay, so the other part about this that I really disliked was... It seemed to be kind of rewarding the people who are just like the really obsessive, like pick up every single document and find every single thing. Because if you didn't find all of the documents, which I didn't find, I mean, you can find them really easily with an FAQ and it's, it doesn't take very long. But like as I played through naturally, like I found some stuff, but I didn't find everything. And you need to figure out like what to even do in the first place. And then you have to be watching the ghost meter thing at exactly the right time. And then it breaks the fourth wall and talks to you as the player, which you have not really been conditioned to think of yourself as throughout the whole game. It really took like a really kind of an unpleasant left turn for me and really kind of ruined like the immersion that I had. And like I said, I thought the game was perfect. Like when it ended with Flora, future Flora, I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. This is perfect. Um, but what happens is the ghost thing tells you go to the room in the theater, which again, I had no idea there was even a theater. I didn't know there was even a room. I go back to the menu after reading about it on FAQ because I had no idea it was there. And I went back. I'm like, oh, there's this whole area here. I didn't know this was even here. And so you go in the room. You get trapped in the room. And then it's Tesla. And he's like, hey, yo, uh, you wanted to be part of my story, which I I don't know that that's even true. That wasn't really even established <laughs> beforehand. Um, and now that you're here, you're going to help me out because you're going to be the dead body that they find in the future. And thanks, yo. And I'm like, what? What are you even talking like, this part was not set up to me at all. Like, there's a couple documents. If you find them, and I did find them, but I found them so early in the game, they didn't mean anything to me, and there was no reason for me to review those. And even if I did, I didn't know that I could review them. 
Like, they talk about finding Tesla's body in the future, and it just wasn't really, like, nailed to anything. And then apparently what the game is trying to say is that you are locked in this room. So you're in a hotel, but you're actually watching a theater, but the theater's part of the hotel, which doesn't make sense to me, because why would a theater <laughs> be in a hotel? And then you're forced to jump off the balcony, and then your body is the body they find, because Tesla is actually still alive, because he uses... I'm like, what? This is This is trash. This is all trash. This is all, none of this makes sense. It's not well established. It's not led up to. I get it's like an Easter egg for people who are obsessive and find all the secrets. I didn't feel like it was very well done at all. I felt like it really took away from the main story. And I hated it. I hated every part about it. I thought it was just really poor. I'm sorry, Rob. I'm, I don't mean to be mean. But I thought it was terrible. And I thought, like, it, it was just really bad. Like, a bad idea. If, if it had been led up to you in a different way, it would have worked for me, perhaps. But I think that what you accomplished was so great, so perfect. Why would you Why would you gild that lily like it was so good as it was? I mean, uh, that didn't work for me at all. I, I, I actively disliked that whole thing. Corey, what did What did you think about the the quote unquote real ending? I mean, I thought I didn't like hate it as much as you did. Um, I I thought it was kind of a cop out. I thought it was kind of silly. Um, what pissed me off more than anything, and this is like kind of a me thing, is whenever I was going back to just pick up the last bits of the diaries and do the last bits of like the listening to the spirit on the radio thing, that's whenever I played it in flat screen on the PC and I wasn't playing it in VR because I was lazy and I didn't feel like standing up and playing it and like strapping the VR on and everything. So I get to that point, <clears throat> I get to talking to like the Tesla, like in the other room situation, and he's like, oh, you, you have to, like, basically you have to jump off the balcony for me. And, like, of course, the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, this is going to be, like, a cool VR moment. Like, they want you to jump off a balcony. Like, this is probably going to be, like, a really scary, like, watch yourself fall to the ground off this, like, skyscraper hotel or something. So I, like, quit the game. Oh, I, no. I, I, I kid you not. I swear <laughs> to God I did this last night. I quit the game. I plug. I get the VR set up. I turn the controllers on. I relaunch the game in VR. I walk back to the room. I listen to the monologue again. And he's like, you have to jump off the balcony bridge, whatever. So I'm like, all right. Like, I'm, I'm ready to be, like, scared out of my mind. Like, you know, jumping off this balcony as this character and, like, watching him, like, fall to the street or get run over or something. You walk out onto the balcony. The game cuts to black. And it's over with. You don't even jump. <laughs> You don't do anything. I was so disappointed because I was like, oh, yeah, this yeah. game was built for VR for the ground up. Like, of course they're going to do it. Was, I thought about the umbrella at the beginning. I was like, of course they're going to do some little like cool yeah, VR yeah, thing. Yeah. No, not at all. Game fades out. Credits. It's over with. I was like, wow, really? Like, really, guys? Like, come on. Yeah, that That is hilarious and disappointing and sad. Yeah, I... <laughs> that's funny i mean okay so like let me let me just back it up again i mean so that's so that's basically the invisible hours it's an interactive movie drama where the murder mystery unfolds and you can see these different stories and i mean i think overall overall i i love this game i mean what like let's do let's do final thoughts here before we wrap up i i love this game i thought it was so brilliant i have such admiration for the main campaign like the main the core content it is such a finely crafted piece of narrative and of pacing and of scripting. I just, I love everything about it. I think all the performances are great. I think the, the, the plotting is great. I mean, I, w I, I don't go in for walking sims. You know I don't. You know I don't like games where all you do is walk around and find documents. I don't like those kind of games. But I thought this one was fantastic. I thought it was just really interesting on every level. The characters were great. The way that it unfolded was great. Everything about it was wonderful. So I don't want my 
extreme distaste of that final bit to like kind of <laughs> overshadow the rest of it. I strongly recommend this game to anybody. And I think that people should play this game. And I think that um, everybody at Tequila Works and Rob who wrote this game should be totally proud of themselves for, for what they've accomplished. Because I think it is truly a standout piece of software. I mean, I, I, I could not be happier with it. I, I absolutely hate the true ending. And I would recommend that anybody play this game. Don't bother with that. And actually don't watch that. <laughs> And I actually would have liked if they had gotten that sneeze in the closet in rather than having that whole extra section. But it is what it is, and I think the game is still brilliant, and I absolutely standing ovation applaud uh, Tequila Works and Rob Yescom for the work they've done. I mean, it's it's fantastic. I, I love this game. Love, love, love this game. And I, I would I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. Corey, what did you, as, as the walking sim guy, as the document-finding guy, as the nosy neighbor looking through the medicine closet guy, uh, like, what did you think of this? How did you, what, how did you find it what did you think overall well ultimately i i mean i didn't love it with like a capital l i liked it a lot um i i mean i thought you know it was pretty innovative as you know sort of like this um experimental like theater sort of piece because it really is just like a play that you just happen to be watching you know it really kind of gives um it kind of exists more as like an experimental sort of like black box theater thing rather than, you know, a video game. It's, it's kind of like whenever you have a mobile game and it's like, Oh, well anybody could play this. Like your mom could play this. Like that's kind of how I think of the invisible hours. Like, yeah, it's a video game, but like, it's kind of meant for everybody. I mean, although it was built in VR and only like, you know, X percent of the population has it, but it's like easy enough to move around in and to understand. Um, I think, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, but I appreciate how experimental it was and how, um, you know, like what, because basically the writing is everything here. And that's such a rare thing to happen in video games. Usually the writing is like the last thing on the list of like things for video games. It's always about the action and the gameplay and, you know, the, the graphics and, you know, how beautiful it is and everything. And, you know, the story is like what comes last. I mean, like we talked about with like Hitman 2, like the story is garbage, but the gameplay is great. This is like the writing is everything. It's, it's all about the writing. It's all about the story. It's all about, you know, the mystery. And I think it really succeeds on those fronts because if this game didn't have good writing, it would be garbage. The get the whole game would be garbage. Totally. Totally. Everything is th like the mechanic of it being an interactive theater piece is not enough. Like it has to have good writing too. And luckily this game has both of them or maybe not luckily. Cause I trust that Rob is a good enough writer to where it wasn't luck. That is why this game is so great. It's because he's a, He's a, you know, a good artist in his own right. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I think that um, due to it being in VR, like, I obviously like VR things, but I think due to the fact that it was in VR and, and I was just, like, kind of standing around a lot. Like, you know, because you don't have any agency in the store. You're just standing there. And on one hand, that's awesome. But on the other hand, if you're just standing there for five hours, just, like, you know, kind of, like, watching people do things and you're not really doing anything yourself and you're not... I mean, and I don't think this is a game where I want to do anything myself, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword, like... Yeah, I understand why I'm not a character in the game, but also it's like occasionally a little bit boring to just be like standing there and watching stuff or fast forwarding as a guy sweeps the floor for 10 minutes or, you know, kind of going down some story paths that maybe aren't as interesting as other ones. Um, so those are just like a few like the little drawbacks for me. But I mean, whenever like whenever it hits its stride in certain moments, it really takes off like the whole kind of crescendo to the ending, um, you know, with, like, Gustav and Edison being on the end of the cliff. Like, that's, like, really, like, magical, sort of, like, movie-making in a way, like, really magical storytelling that really just swept me up in the moment, um, which is pretty rare for video games, you know, to really, like, get, really get me, like, 
just like swept up in the moment and like forgetting about everything else that's going on, just really wanting to know what's happening and, you know, gasping when stuff happens. And oh my God, when Flora came out of the time machine and she was walking towards the front door, I was like, oh my God, like I started getting dizzy because like I just <laughs> saw everything coming together and her just walking and hiding behind the, the, the porch and seeing things happen, I was like, oh, this is brilliant stuff. This yeah. is so great. Yeah, and Love even, like, like the time machine thing, like, I was totally all for that because, like, it, it would be so easy for that to happen and for you to be like, oh, whatever, like, a time machine and just, like, immediately, like, lose all your suspension of disbelief, you know? But, like, I was totally on board with it. Like, it made sense and because it oh, was Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got to say, I gotta say something. I got to say oh, something. Oh, I oh, forgot oh. one more thing I hate about this game. Sorry, oh. Rob. Oh, no. Um, so when you when – you, see the other stuff when you get in that hotel room and Tesla says he's going to kill you and stuff like it kind of sets up like this inexplicable time loop. And I think that I know writing time travel stories is impossible. I actually wrote an entire book about a time travel story. So I know how difficult it is. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, by the way. Um, but he did such a great job of wrapping it up with future flora. I thought that was perfect. And I had total respect for him because I know how difficult time travel is. But when he brought in the the future tesla then i'm like well wait well how did he how did the house even get built then like it doesn't like the story kind of fell apart for me because it didn't make sense that the house was built because tesla was there and then like all of the logic of the time travel started not to work and that's when um and this again this comes from rob who talked to me in a dm he was like well if you find the other documents it might suggest that maybe there's like another dimension that it's like a different dimension tesla's coming from or maybe this is like alt tesla or something and i'm like oh no 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 stop talking stop talking this is bad this is bad 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 bad. it's getting too timey-wimey and this is not working for me anymore so that was another part that kind of fell apart for me that i I really had to mention really quickly get that off my chest i'm sorry uh (laughs) but like again the stuff in the secret ending it only it only served to hurt the game i think it really it really took the game down a notch but sorry didn't interrupt you but yes go on um, but yeah, like I was pretty on board with like, you know, the time travel stuff. It's kind of one of those stories, like whenever you bring up the time travel stuff, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you can get really invested in it, but if you think too hard about it, it starts to fall apart. And I just chose yes, not to yes, think yes. too hard about it. Um, but I mean, overall, I think this is a pretty great game and I'm glad that you brought it to the show initially, like several weeks ago and kind of talked about it a little bit and put it on, put it on both of, or on my radar for sure. I guess it was already on yours. Um, because I don't know if I would have played this otherwise, and I also didn't know if it was in... I didn't know it was in VR at the time until I looked on the Steam page and saw it. Um, and also, just for... This is in VR and PSVR as well, and it's on flat for other consoles. So, like, pretty much anybody can get into this game, and this is the perfect example of, like, even if you're not, like, big into video games, like, this is still a game that you could play. Like, if you have a partner who doesn't play games a lot... Um, you know, it's good to play with somebody because especially because it's like watching a movie together, um, you know, and you totally, can make decisions totally. together or you can just give them the controller and let them play it and go about it, you know, at their own at their own pace. Um, but, yeah, I liked it. I ended up spending about five hours with it in total. Um, so it's not that long. And I did like probably about like 80 percent of the stuff that you could do in the game. I mean, it's possible to watch one person uh, and that's it through the entire game and just kind of let it wrap up. And it probably take maybe like an hour and a half or so. So. I wouldn't recommend that, but that's the thing you can do. Um, but yeah, I like this a lot, and I'm glad that you brought it, and I'm glad that we're able to like really kind of like nitpick it and deep dive on it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I love this one a lot. I'm really glad I came back to it. I'm glad. I think it was originally um, Alex Pegram, uh, who is one of our writers at Game Critics, who brought it to my attention. Uh, he did a very glowing review of it, and I believe Dan Weisenberger also liked it as well. Uh, so if those guys liked it, that's what originally got me interested and I'm glad I came back to it after trying it for five minutes because I really feel like it was really worthwhile. I would, again, despite my complaints about the the, the end game stuff, I think this game is brilliant. 
Uh, I would recommend it, no problem. I think it's it's really a, an incredible achievement, and especially as someone who has written a couple books and knows how difficult it is to put a story like this together. I have nothing but the utmost respect for uh, what the team at Tequila Works and what Rob Yescom has done. I mean, this is a real a real um, accomplishment in my eyes. So there we go. That was our second trademark deep dive into uh, a game here at So Video Games, and this will also bring the show to a close uh thank you all for listening hope you've enjoyed that uh and please uh let us know what you think of this would you like us to do more would you like us to stop and knock it off would you let us know (laughs) let us know what you think of us doing the occasional deep dive um in the meantime uh please remember uh that you can send us your comments thoughts feedback ideas anything else you'd like to please hit us up so video games podcast at gmail.com you can post comments for us at gamecritics.com when the show goes up there we are on Twitter as a show collectively at So Video Games, but a better way to reach us, a more reliable way, is probably reaching out to us individually. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram as Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y. Corey, where can people find you? Uh, they can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. My username is uh, the same across pretty much all my platforms. First and last name, Corey Motley, C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Excellent, excellent. And that will bring us uh, to the end of this episode of So Video Games. Uh, just a real quick mention. It's going to be Game of the Year time pretty soon, Corey. Uh, I was, yesterday I almost tweeted because I saw a lot of people talking about Game of the Year stuff on Twitter. Um, I came like, I drafted a tweet like four times talking about how December week one is way too early to be talking about Game of the Year stuff. And then I just deleted it because I did not have. The, like, I couldn't be bothered to follow up with discussions on people who would, like, disagree with me and be like, oh, well, actually, or, oh, well, any, you can discuss this anytime. And I was just like, you know what, I don't have the energy, so I'm not even going to tweet it. But I, I understand why people do it this early, but I am more than happy to wait until, like, mid-January to do Game of the Year stuff. So I don't even want to talk about it right now. <laughs> All right. We'll hash it out. We'll figure something out. It's coming, folks. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how you, the audience, is going to be a part of it, but we'll come up with something. I bring it up because I've seen, like, I think three Game of the Year lists today so far, oh, and it's man. only December 4th, yeah. so they're already coming. Uh, we'll talk about it, but it's it's coming. It's coming, yeah. folks. Get it, get ready. The, it's not too far away. Something, the weird thing for me this year, too, is I was looking back on my list of games I've played, which I've been doing a really poor job of keeping track of, by the way, not as good as last year the year before, but the weird thing for me this year is because because this year started off with the bang of Patrick building us a gaming PC and then got like another bang halfway through the year where we got a VR system. I've been playing a lot of games that didn't come out this year. I've been playing a lot of video games. I mean, obviously we talk about like five to 15 games a week, but I have not been playing a lot that actually came out this year. I think I've only played like 12 games that came out this year so far or completed them, I should say. And usually I play like 35. So like, my top 10 list might just be like everything I've played and maybe half of it'll be bad, but I haven't really been playing a lot that came out this year, which is kind of weird. Um, interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Maybe a very unconventional game of the year list from us this year. We shall see, but good to know. Good to know. Probably I'm guessing probably pretty VR heavy on your side. So we'll see how that pans out. Uh, anyway, we will get to that when we get to that. That is not for today. Uh, but anyway, thanks again for joining us and, uh, we will see you next time. We will be back to our regular format of games first banter last. Thank you for putting up with this, this time around. Uh, and thank you for being an audience member and a listener. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I guess there's nothing left to say, but, uh, this is bye from Brad and bye from Corey. We'll be back next week. Bye.